0: It's traditionally the grandest night in the World Wrestling Federation. WrestleMania, the great spectacle, the granddaddy of sports entertainment. A magical night where dreams become reality, where legends stand immortal, where incredible feats of athleticism are indelibly etched in the annals of time. But this year, a tempest engulfs utopia. This year. Clouds of hatred and anger have eclipsed the heavens, shed darkness upon the gods. We've watched as our heroes step down from their pedestals, witness malicious attacks by a depraved nation, beheld the dark, disturbing flashes from a once benevolent force. Tonight, three determined men unite to wage war against an evil nation. Their battleground, the cold, unforgiving streets of Chicago. Tonight, two giants appear willing to shed their noble armor to embrace their dark sides to possess the coveted gold. And tonight, two angry young men destined to destroy each other will endure intolerable pain in a brutal submission match. It's WrestleMania, the showcase of the immortals, the greatest night in sports entertainment. It's supposed to be a night of celebration, a time to rejoice. But tonight, none of these men are smiling. And now, WrestleMania 13.
1: You're right; they do show some clip of the the original Blackjacks before. Now, this is weird because. WWF weren't exactly they they weren't they've never really been very comfortable with their past in terms of showing too much of it. What I mean by that is that they obviously show lots of clips of past WrestleManias, but they don't really go into it too much. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're kind of like they must show ever, especially stuff from before Hogan, basically, which is where the Blackjack's are coming from here. Yeah. And yet at this period in time, they kept going back to it, and I think it's because they couldn't go back to the Hogan stuff. Yeah. Because he was in WCW, point. so they kind of seem to want to draw upon stuff from prior to that point and obviously at the same time as this you've got the, a Rocky Maivia and all the constant references to the High Chief Peter Maivia and Rocky Johnson again stuff that took place in the WWF before the Peak Hogan years. Blackjack Mulligan, incidentally, the, one of the original Blackjacks, is the father of Barry Windham uh. and Kendall Windham, who's in WSW with him, and the father-in-law of Mike Rotunda, and of course, therefore, grandfather of Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt. So quite the legacy of mm. Mulligan has left behind. Who the fuck wants to see Barry Windham in 1997? Or JBL,
2: ever. Or, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and JBL is still going through this phase that he had before he comes to JBL, where he's constantly walking to the ring like he shit himself. I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know what's wrong with his gait. If he needs to go to like one of those. We know you go to like a running shops and they've got a treadmill and you wear the running shoes and they they test your gait. Well, he he went and did that eventually, but he's constantly walking like he's shit his pants. It's bizarre.
1: Maybe he has. Maybe that's what he does in his pre match ritual every single time. Yeah.
2: So and even if he doesn't need to, he's just like, come on, come on, <laughs> Grip it off a dear life.
1: I can't, I can't go into this match without it. Can't yeah, do it. Like, I'm a Lucky charm. <laughs> And then at some point in like 2004, 2005, he's like, someone told him, just don't do it. See what it's like. And from then on, he was fine. You'll be a star if you (laughs) you know they're not pushing you because
2: you keep pushing out a horrendous dump.
1: Welcome to the Random Wrestling Review, I'm Ben Spindler and today it's been said that 13 is lucky for some but does that include WWE? As we take a look back at WrestleMania 13 a night of double turns and lost smiles Joining me today to pull apart this event we have first of all Tom Smith who is just swigging I think a Jack Daniels and Coke It's a uh, Buffalo Trace but close enough Well, whiskey and Coke of some kind Yeah, come on England And uh, also we have Matt Roberts, the polar bear himself
2: Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? Oh, God. <laughs> Matt, Matt's recording from a broom cupboard
3: with a good mask on today. There may be a reason for the whispering, which you will find out later on. Oh, I like that. It's very, very suggestive, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it was your reaction that got me, Tommy. It was like you'd, you'd had a shiver down your spine. It was <laughs> real excitement. It was really, oh, <laughs> And uh, not only that, but Tom has got a fetching background today to his Skype, which obviously, as yes, this is an audio-only podcast, you won't see. But it is of a particular match that took place at this particular WrestleMania, and we will get to that in good time. Before we get to the show itself, a little bit of a plug. At RWRPod UK is where you can find us, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Lots of activity going on at Instagram at the moment as we continue to prepare ourselves for the potential, although it's seeming like the heat's gone out of this a little bit, of Twitter falling down since elon musk's taken over although having said that if you go onto twitter blue now which is like a, an option within twitter there's an increasing amount of price list for things that you can add to your Twitter account. So it does seem like there's some desperation Going on there in terms of income At Twitter headquarters. So uh, I'm not sure that the uh, that Twitter's going to be safe just yet So yeah, follow us at Instagram or Facebook At RWR Pod UK. And of course, join us on Twitter As well if you're not already over there. And um, we always Appreciate the follows. So guys We're at WrestleMania 13. And there's A lot of pressure on us today for numerous mm. Reasons. First of all, there was Some pressure on WWE at the time because this is the Lowest pay-per-view buy rate of any WrestleMania of all time, WrestleMania 13, significantly uh, lower than anything else that had happened previously. This also has got the match that was voted for in our tournament that we did of WrestleMania matches, the very best of all time. So we did a tournament where we had every single match that ever happened at WrestleMania in the tournament, and we whittled it down, and this show had the match that won that. Now I'm sure most of you can guess, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it for you just yet. We'll There, in just a second.
2: Well, so there's a bit. There are so many fans of the Godwins, the Headbangers, Furloughon, and Doug Furness, and the new (laughs) Blackjacks.
1: Not me. Also, there's another kind of interesting little uh, bit of trivia here because this contains the second appearance of WrestleMania for a certain Sid, who only ever appeared at two WrestleManias and headlined them both. He's the only person to have ever done that. And I should not imagine there'll be too many others that do it in the future unless some celebrity in the next 10 years manages to get themselves a big enough following to be involved in main events only at WrestleMania.
2: 11, 13 and 8. No, no, he's only
1: at 8 and 13. 11, he didn't fight. Mm, OK, I see. I see.
2: He was there, though. He, he was there, but he wasn't
1: on the card. He wasn't like he, he didn't wrestle in any was, way. the match. And I saw it and
2: I thought, oh, do you know, what? I could do with some mac and cheese. After looking at his hair.
1: So yeah, so there's a, there's a little bit of a said a little bit of pressure. Um, and before we get to that pressure, what were our ex- expectations? I think I'm going to start with you, Tom. What were your expectations for this one? Again, this is one that I think you had on video,
2: Tinky. No, VHS, I didn't. I didn't. did I, I have You, on did. Video? you did. I Maybe think. I yeah. did. And I only ever used to watch the last three matches, <laughs> so yeah, I'm yeah. really really not familiar with this with pre-card, if you will. I'm not going to lie. I was thinking of a loss of innocence on, on this because we've got the accelerator down and we're heading full force into the attitude era I'm probably sprouted pubes by this point but definitely much more interested in masturbating than I would have been over the previous WrestleManias, I would expect. <laughs> it's, it's, a tough one to, it's a tough one to have expectations for when I know so much about the last three matches and about half of it. I know there's going to be one of the greatest matches, if not the greatest match ever, in my opinion, on this card. So I'm looking forward to watching that. I'm also thinking this is the end. This is the end of Vince as well, isn't it? On commentary. It's us. Well, so is the last time we're going to hear Vince McMahon on commentary at WrestleMania, at least during this show. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling a little bit nostalgic for that by this point he'd got a little bit tedious I think Vince McMahon on commentary, but Pink. um, <laughs> see, I'm not as down, I'm, I'm not as high on Vince as, as Tinky is, but I'm certainly not as down on him as you are, Matt, on commentary. Yeah, yeah so it was kind of I was just thinking about I was thinking about it like like it went at the beginning of it when the WrestleMania music kicks in, and I like, I think this is probably the last time we hear that until Linda McMahon uses it as entrance I was about to music. Say, do you, do you mean the Linda like... McMahon theme? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm just thinking to myself about like yeah, yeah I'm just thinking that like, this is the end of we've gone through my favorite bit, um, my favorite period. We've gone through. Through the period after that where my guy is on all of the pay-per-views and then we're going to go into the attitude, which i love and it's got a lot of good stuff about it but if i think about what i truly love about wrestling is all the wrestling is leading up to this really and then there's kind of spots you know that i highlights that i really like and other bits that i'm not too keen on so it's, it's kind of a little bit bittersweet watching this one.
1: Interesting. There's a, there is definitely a feeling of the end of an era a little bit here. The sort of the down years, actually, really, mm-hmm. to, certainly in terms of business, is coming to an end. Matt, what was your, uh, what was your expectations for this?
3: Um, well, I only knew of two matches um, on the card, one of which is the, uh, well, again, the most celebrated one of, of apparently WrestleMania history, which again, we'll go into in a bit. So my expectations were very high for that one. And then I did look up the main event just to see what it was. And I must admit, I did definitely did lose my smile at that point so you shouldn't look at the
1: matches beforehand i don't know how many times you got to tell i you know so much easier to get through any show if you don't know what's coming next especially prior to the year 1998 probably even well after that in fairness there's probably a lot of shit on a lot of different shows that you could definitely live through easier if you didn't know it was coming than if you were aware of it and were dreading it
3: couldn't help it couldn't help myself
1: my expectations is actually very, very similar to Tom. Very, very similar. I always remember the last three matches watching, nothing else really even paying attention to. I would have watched it all at some point, but certainly haven't done that in a very long time. Eager to see what else might be on this show that might speak for it. And obviously, knowing that the match in question did win the poll, the tournament, for best match of all time at WrestleMania, you know, that's that was something I was looking forward to seeing again. It's funny that that match should come at the least successful WrestleMania. In terms of pay-per-view buy rates And I think that has been a little bit of a pattern In general, I think, at WrestleMania For example, the two Shawn Michaels and Untaker matches 25 and 26 were not particularly successful Certainly when you t- take them in comparison To other WrestleManias around them So I think that's quite a familiar thing there Interesting that long-time fans Probably want there to be great wrestling matches Seemingly that makes absolutely no difference To the pay-per-view buy rate on, Or even mm-hmm. potentially makes it worse <laughs> in, in reality So uh, interesting on that
2: well, why is it the buy rates are down when we had the most disposable income that we ever had and could afford to go to those two WrestleManias but the, the, the reality is and the same thing will always apply I don't give a shit about buy rates or about ratings or any of that I, d- I don't give a fuck about it until people start saying that Bret Hart can draw and then that's when I, <laughs> that's when I start caring because uh, I'll don't i never blame it on him but um, at the time like like what you were saying when I was watching this kind of period I'd say between what the 90 93 through to 97, I'd say. I had no idea the, the company were in financial turmoil. Do you know what I mean? I was still like, do you know what? Like my favourite rest are still there. There's still a couple of other people that I like. I'm sticking with it, and it, not at any point. And I know I, I don't think I got cable TV until kind of like 90, 98, I think. Um, it was 98. Uh, I remember yeah. it very well. Yes vividly. And uh, but even that, I still had no inclination to ever switch to WCW, and it was it was quite interesting. I think you guys talked about it on because you you guys were talking about Vince talking about well they're just a fan of the World Wrestling Federation and all that sort of stuff the things that that does genuinely (laughs) genuinely apply to me because I don't I don't watch any other wrestling yeah but
1: my point is you weren't conscious of being I'm a WWF fan and I'm gonna like who you know whoever they oh no no you're not who they you were a Bret Hart fan and in that time that match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels you would have been ultra Bret Hart is the best Shawn Michaels a dick don't like Shawn Michaels fuck off Shawn Michaels basically and that's what we were sort of debating on that one
2: I, I would watch watch Wrestlemania 12 up until the draw and then pretend the rest didn't happen
1: <laughs> <laughs> amazing stuff I mean that's that takes a certain amount of dedication it's not like I really care about buy rates but I do care in the sense of it and how it informs the way WWE then make decisions as a consequence of those buy rates and trying to understand why they did what they did going forward and and why they'd done what they were doing just prior to this as well and I think you know we've spoken quite a lot a lot about how this period, ninety three to ninety seven, Vince is just second guessing himself all the time. Just doesn't know what he's doing, and the build to this WrestleMania, and even all the way back to the previous sort of Survivor Series, SummerSlam period, Vince is just constantly changing his mind, and plans are having to change for other reasons as well. And it's a it's a mess. The build to this particular WrestleMania, and I think we'll get into all that in just a moment. So talking points, then. Let's start with uh, let's start with you, Tom. What's your talking point for this one? Right.
2: Oh fuck it. I'm doing it. This is my background <laughs> at the moment. I'm going to talk. About- <laughs> Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin and not just the (gasps) match, not just, yeah I know (laughs) colour you surprised Matt not just the the match in itself but I think this is arguably one of the best rivalries in WWF history as well that doesn't get enough credit I think personally, I think because both participants of it had more impact on the business than this one did, so obviously you think about Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, that obviously impacts Montreal and then you know the huge change in the Mr McMahon character which then feeds into the huge feud with Austin and Man, they had bigger feuds with other people But this this feud is equally amazing This match is I don't think it's the greatest match ever Which I think will surprise Matt But it's my favourite match ever I think it's absolutely amazing There's so many bits in it And the bit that I find really interesting Is when the actual turn happens And it's when Brett goes to get the chair About midway through the match That's when the switch really happens Or at least when it starts And a lot of the crowd are still quite conflicted About it at the time And a lot of them haven't quite really realize that it's happened but that's when that's when it actually happens and that's when Brett really dials up the aggression and the nastiness towards Steve Austin, but because it's Bret Hart and he's still generally quite beloved by most of the crowd, it takes a long time for it to, for it to sink in. I love just I love everything about this match. I love at the beginning of it. I love Ken Shamrock as the referee. He's amazing in it because the thing that makes him so great in this match is that you don't see him at all in the match, despite the fact that he's this hulking double R bastard in the corner with the most enormous biceps I think I've ever seen. It's it's when they things where you're like, he he plays his role perfectly within the match, just gets involved when he has to, and then at the end, which we'll come come to you later, is amazing. I've realised I've started talking about it before you've actually done the rundown of the match, Tinky, so do we just go through it and see what happens?
1: I mean, it's fine. I imagine most people know what happens, but ultimately yeah. what does happen is Brett clamps on the sharpshooter with Steve Austin busted open in an iconic moment of uh, WWF lore. Steve Austin tries to get out but cannot do it, passes out under the pain of the sharpshooter, the match therefore ending by a stoppage When Ken Shamrock Calls for the bell In a classic babyface way Steve Austin never gives up Whilst Brett After the match Decides to put the boots To Austin In a classic heel way Ken Shamrock Then has to face him down And remove Brett From Steve Austin You get a little bit Of a face down And Brett backs off Again as a classic heel As the mm-hmm. fans chant For Austin and Boo Brett Hart
2: And then Austin Refuses help from people And needs to walk To the back of the Brilliant There's a couple of bits in That I really wanted To focus, focus on So it's the first I think it's the first figure spot around the ring post which looks amazing it always looks so good there's you know we, we talked about wrestlemania 10 and how everything's perfect even the impact of earl hebner's i was gonna say paw print His paw print but <laughs> he's doing the game um the, the, there's, there's a bit where austin um like gets runs into the runs into like the the ring post on the outside and just the noise it makes is amazing this match has got the best ever chair shot in it as well, which is the one that Austin delivers to Bret where he swings it back and puts everything into it and nearly destroys Bret Hart. The bit when they fight around the the timekeeper's table and they fight around the ring, the fact that the match starts with Bret Hart just going in, uh, sorry, with the Stone Cold just going in and taking Bret Hart down and then just brawling straight away is, is amazing. There's like a great bit after that chair shot that I mentioned where Austin starts egging the crowd on and they're still booing him but there's significantly more cheers for him than there were at the beginning of the match. The glass shattering at the beginning i have gone all over the place chronologically but the, the glass breaking at the beginning and him walking through is an iconic moment but i don't remember seeing that glass breaking before which is absolutely amazing there's got a great fucking kick to the bollocks from Stone Cold Steve Austin on Bret Hart as well which I felt watching there's the bit when Austin's trying to choke Bret Hart over the ring and he hits and Brett hits him with the ring bell which I love because you don't see the ring bell and the sharpshooter that Brett puts on it might be the best one it's either that one or against Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 91 those are the two great sharpshooters that I remember the the pass out fake out as I've written it down where Austin kind of looks like he passes out and then pushes himself back out with blood porno is absolutely amazing iconic is the word for it tinky because it's it just is and the crowd are absolutely electric and that bit funny like what you said then matt about what we discussed in a bonus episode which has already been released about the kind of air being sucked out of the room that's what happens when bret hart reapplies the sharpshooter after austin nearly reverses it and the crowd is just like oh shit that's it then i just think it's brilliant i think it's i think it's absolutely amazing austin walking down the tunnel on his own at the end again is iconic another iconic kind of shot i think of seeing him walk off like the lone gunman kind of walking away from a hard fought battle I just think it's brilliant bratt has got great attire it's just classic black black trousers what, uh, and, uh, and the pink shirt it's just amazing this match is is wonderful and what I always think when I watch it now is I listen to an episode of Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast that he did years ago and he says about when you blade how hard it is to not wipe your face because you want to keep that blood on your face you don't want it to go and what you don't want and what you need to keep doing is keep almost irritating the cut because you want you want it to keep going and just think about how horrible that feeling must be of having blood running down your face and be like every instinct being I need to wipe this off and not doing it for the sake of, of the visuals of the match but yeah it's it's absolutely brilliant I love this match and it's, it's, a, it's 10 out of 10 for me and it's my match of the night and my MVP of the night is actually Austin because I think his performance in this match is absolutely tremendous.
1: It's interesting you said earlier on that this is the last McMahon because this is effectively the last Brett as well I you know mm. obviously apart from the return at Wrestlemania 26 which we will try not to talk about during it's the show s- second best
2: match ever yeah
1: one. yeah but you know yeah this is the end of Brett as well at Wrestlemania so uh, another sad moment for you Tom <laughs> it is it
2: is but I, tell, I still got I know it's not Wrestlemania but we still got Canadian Stampede after yeah, we do That's so
1: good enough uh, and also Sam, Sam 97 where he wins the title for a fifth time and you can find that in our archives because we have covered that show already Matt let's let's hear it then what does the polar bear think of the match that was voted for by the twitter followers of the rwr pod uk as the best match in wrestlemania history and in fairness that is not inconsistent with lots and lots of other lists and best ofs that have been out there in the world before you see i'm giving the big build up here tom and also and the
2: things I've cut, i can't feel i think i know where this is going and also just to let you know i did not create loads of twitter burner accounts just to bump the votes up all right <laughs> i only had one vote and that one vote went
3: for it <laughs> Here we go <laughs> i have so been looking forward to this this week well strap yourselves in ladies and gentlemen because the polar bear is about to drop some fucking truth bombs on you i think it's fairly well known by this point that i don't quite see bret hart as high as a lot of people do i think that's quite fairly well known at this point now what i will say to that is after watching this I can see where I may have been a little bit wrong. Yes! <laughs> because this was the best Bret Hart match I have ever seen. This was one of the best matches I've ever seen. And was fucking amazing. So I'll give you that. Just just let that settle. Just, just think about me saying that. The polar bear, for fuck's sake saying that for a start there's that okay from from the start of this like i've always thought of brett Moore as a as a technical kind of guy he was one of the best brawlers I, I've seen in this, the, you know, the the stuff with him and Steve Austin in the crowd was amazing. It, it felt hard hitting. The crowd were all practically drooling all over it within seconds. You know, you, you mentioned it there, Tom. I mean, you know, things like you know, um, just you know, Steve Austin hitting his head on the ring post, and I've never seen you know, the you know, wrestlers hitting their head on the post seemingly that hard before. You know, things like you know, Brett's was like so, like his demeanor was just so angry and pissed off and he played it to perfection, you know, just like at one point he just you know yelled at Steve to get up and just the way he did it was so guttural that you could feel it from, you know, Steve trying to use the, the cables to try and choke Brett out and Brett using the ring bell, it was just, it felt like this desperate fight to kick the shit out of each other. The sharpshooter at the end where, where Steve Austin was trying to grab Brett's hair, oh, that was great, you know, to prevent him from, you know, locking it in properly and, you know, him trying to, it, it just showed that desperate he's like fuck I can't, I can't lose to this guy you know do anything you can to get out of there the fact that he was in that sharpshooter for as long as he did was just great yeah, this was just a real real great piece of work and do you know what like I said for me this is the best Bret Hart match I've ever seen. I mean it's,
1: it's not an uncommon feeling it's very uh, very commonly held belief Um, is this the first time you've seen it Matt? Yes. Yeah and I guess it's the first time I, from when we first started I asked you uh, which ones you hadn't seen and I think now everyone you've seen after this is that right
3: I think so yeah
1: yeah okay so yeah I thought this was a sort of watershed moment as well for your sort of viewing I mean it's interesting isn't it because you know you said it's his best match ever I think this year this 97 despite it being his last good year is arguably his best year like he's just it, the character work he does as a heel is phenomenal it's, it's, it's so it's, believable huh? he, gets to play, <laughs> he gets to play both the baby face and the heel over the course of the year which is just amazing because of the this sort of unique situation they had where basically in America he was heel everywhere else he was a, a baby face. That just made it so unique, so cool. Brett, He did that thing where for me I think it's lost, it's completely lost now in wrestling and, and to be honest it's been lost for a long time not just in the last recent 10 years or so but where wrestlers really tried hard if they were going to turn heel or baby face to justify it in some way to themselves so that they could actually continue to portray the character they had portrayed since that point and Brett did. Brett found a way to justify this heel turn in fairness it kind of naturally it probably was exactly how he was feeling anyway because you know we know he takes himself very seriously and he was starting to receive mixed reactions from the crowd. The start of this match shows that mixed reaction it's not like he's being booed but there's not an it's not a universal kind of you know greeting of, of here's this hero kind of thing as he had been used to up to that point and certainly that had been the case since really his return the previous November at Survivor Series just wasn't quite getting that universal applause that he'd been getting and wwe leaned into it and brett sort of turned heel in america but not everywhere else and then they had this you know this great run with brett as the the, the man at the head of the Hart foundation and the, the heart foundation kind of reuniting with owen and davey boy and jim niner and brian pillman and everyone else so yeah for me a great year similar actually strangely to austin his for me his best year was 2001 like again in terms of overall match quality overall stuff that he did on Raw every single week he was phenomenal completely different role heel as well during that time but in terms of just pure quality not necessarily selling tickets and pay-per-views and whatnot best year for me is their both of their last good years when they turned heel in a weird kind of way so I just think um a really interesting sort of time and Brett was phenomenal I think this is a, obviously it's a f- phenomenal match obviously it is a phenomenal match I don't connect with it in quite the emotional way Tom does and or in the quite the emotional way I do with Brett versus Owen or one or two other matches that Brett would have during this time, or indeed some of the matches Austin would go on to have. But it's, it is a phenomenal match. And the mechanics of it in particular, in terms of the psychology and the stuff they do to make the crowd change their mind almost about these two, Well, not even really change their mind, that's not true, but just confirm to them that they should feel the way they feel about these two people, I think is more accurate. Like there was obviously the sense of people wanting to cheer Austin, a sense of people starting to dislike Brett because he'd become much worse, whinier and he wasn't happy about loads of stuff and they just confirmed it to the crowd who were still playing along but were eager to not play along and so they just said alright fine we'll do the double switch they do the double switch and they do it in a way that doesn't require any major surprise that's what I love about it like these days a turn seems to have to be a surprise especially a heel turn oh it must be a surprise it must be this moment where they turn on someone or they they betray someone they betray a a friend or whatever this didn't that's not happened they just basically show almost their true colours within the the course of this match or at least the way they were feeling at the time you know Brett hated Austin so much and hated the injustice of Austin's the way Austin had been and the stuff he'd done to him over however many months and he, the bitterness had gotten the better of him and turned him into this almost sour kind of person that fans were no longer interested in whilst Austin did this kind of you know never give up never say die tough guy kind of thing which won over the crowd I'm looking at the picture behind Tom at the moment his background and the crowd the face Faces in the crowd are amazing. So there's a couple of people. One person looking a little bit concerned. Another guy looking over the top. Another one like shout, like almost like jumping up and down like, oh my god, I can't believe what's going to happen next. And it's the moment where Austin is in the Sharpshooter and pushing up against the against the mat. And it's just a, it's an emotional response. It's entirely emotional. It's about who's going to win this match. Can Austin get out? Come on, let him get out. And he obviously doesn't. And Brett goes on to win. And they do all that. They turn Austin babyface. Turn Brett heel. And Brett still wins. And he still wins cleanly. It's yeah. phenomenal. It's it's, you- it's a phenomenal piece. of
2: There's also another amazing bit in it that I forgot to mention a little bit of unexpected slapstick if you will which is when they're fighting through the crowd and Austin tries to do a <laughs> pile driver on Bret Hart and Bret Hart reverses it and flips him over and you can't see the actual pile driver tips. all you see is the top half of Austin's body as he's going for it and then all of a sudden he ducks down and you just see his legs flying like going over the top of the crowd and it looks really funny and there's another bit where Bret Hart when he goes to grab the chair there's just some horrible brown stuff all over it did you notice that? it's just oh it's horrible it's like someone <laughs> spilt their coffee or something like on it it looks really Really, really unpleasant. Like I said, it's 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 my favourite match of all time. I think the his best match is is the one with own and the reason I think I said this it during the WrestleMania 10 episode when I when I, in, I did my run-in. That the thing I love about that match is that there's no gimmicks involved in it. This match is quite gimmicked to some extent, but the fact that Brett still wins cleanly at the end and there's no shenanigans involved, it, I love. I think the reaction, uh, the pop to Ken Shamrock pulling off Brett. <laughs> is is great but the the other thing that I wanted to mention to you Matt in particular is that because obviously I don't think we'll be doing this anytime go out of your way to watch the main event of Canadian Stampede if you haven't seen it, okay, because it's in your house. 16 Canadian Stampede. The main event of that is absolutely amazing for just a visceral crowd reaction. It's the probably one of the most hot crowds you'll ever hear. The hard camera is shaking. It's so intense in that building. Wouldn't you agree, Tinky?
1: Yeah, but it's, it's also not really a Brett match in the sense that it's, it's a 10 man tag, so it's not even like there's lots of people involved in it, and you get to see a lot of great stuff from various different people. And yeah, it's, it's more, but it is more about the, the atmosphere which is just yeah. absolutely cooking because it's in Calgary and it's just it's great but
2: the amazing I've got I've got to talk about it for a moment now I'm sorry I can't help myself at so the beginning of it so it's a 10-man tag it's Gold Dust, Steve Austin the Road Warriors and Amber Johnson versus the Heart Foundation so Brett Owen Davy Boy Jim Neidhart and Brian Pillman and the bit is amazing so they come out in order so Brian Pillman comes out well the, the baby faces come out first and get absolutely shat on then it's Brian Pillman Nightheart, Bulldog Owen Hart and when Owen Hart comes out Bulldog starts dancing to Owen Hart's music which is amazing and then when Bret Hart comes out, the place is at fever pitch. Don't spoil it's just... it
3: too much now, by the way, because I've never oh. seen it before. So that's <laughs> uh-huh.
2: amazing. It's amazing. And what, I, like what I was kind of talking earlier about this, this feud with, between Bret and Austin. It's n- not quite a year long, but it goes from what November through to July, you know? So it was a pretty uh, like, and they they weren't always against each other, but it was always kind of simmering in the background. I guess it kind of actually kind of continues really, I guess until SummerSlam, I guess you think about it. Survivor Series
1: technically, Survivor series. When Austin and Owen and second match.
2: Yeah. So it kind of goes on his feud with the hearts, should I say it goes on for about a year and it's absolutely, it's great. And I don't think that it gets the credit that it deserves. It's certainly better than fucking John Cena and Edge, which everyone bums each other over. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, I I like it deserves a bit more credit than it gets.
1: I I, I mean, I think it's a good, I think it's a good feud. I think the reason it doesn't get the credit is simply because less people are watching. It's really as simple as that, especially compared to what Austin would do for the next four years. Do you know what I mean? It's just so much lower down in terms of people watching at the time that that's why it doesn't get the credit, I think. The other thing about this match, so this is the thing I was really interested in. We talk about this, the road not travelled quite a lot. This match may never have happened. Now, we don't know what would have happened at WrestleMania 13. And I actually took the time to listen to the Bruce Pritchard podcast about this particular show as well just to see if he had offered any plan A originally for what this show would have been because obviously this mat, this, this whole show is impacted by the Shawn Michaels supposedly has an injury we'll talk about that a little bit later because he appears in the show but he didn't appear at this mat, this show and, and therefore they had to change their plans but Bruce Pritchard in that podcast says he I can't remember what the original plans were and I was thinking about it and I'm like I'm not sure that they would have made their mind up by even the time, even though Shawn Michaels did surrender the title in mid-February, so well on the way to WrestleMania, I'm not sure they knew for absolute definite what they were going to do. Because think about it, Bret was still babyface, Shawn Michaels was a babyface, Austin was a heel. At this match, we've just talked about it, they'd switch Austin and Bret over. Of course, they couldn't have done that if they didn't have the match between the two of them. So what would have happened there? I, it's all a bit confusing. I'm not sure what would have happened, but there's a very big chance that this match may not have happened. And potentially also, therefore, Austin may never have turned baby babyface because who would he have turned babyface against if this match didn't happen I think according to Brett
2: Hart's autobiography is that he was supposed to win the title back from Sean at Wrestlemania and you could have babyface versus babyface because they still had they had that obviously the year before but
1: I but he yeah, didn't he perform is, very well did he either that's the other that's why I think these buy rates are really important because yeah Vince would have been looking at and going that wasn't that was at that time again the lowest of all time this was slightly lower again but that was the lowest at that point
2: yeah it's interesting it's a bit of a sliding doors moment isn't there?
1: It's, it's a natural conclusion to think that it would have been Brett Sean rematch and likely Sean would have lost because Brett has in his book said that there's the, his idea or at least one idea that could have happened was that effectively they fought each other at WrestleMania 12 Sean wins they fight each, fight each other at WrestleMania 13 Brett wins and then they fight each other again at WrestleMania 14 Sean wins the decider and goes on and Brett kind of you know sort of semi retires basically so the, the, there's this sort of almost temptation to just assume that yes Brett would have beaten Sean in the main event of this show is Sean had not cried off and been supposedly Mm. injured but I don't think that's definite I really just don't think that is definite especially given what the previous year's buy rate did especially given the fact that they have got Austin and they are determined now to turn in babyface because he is cooking on gas I don't know how you do it without this match and it wouldn't have been as impactful certainly Does your coffee table book say anything about it? No nothing about that particular thing in fact I, I looked through this earlier today and I was like you know what there's not a lot I can pull out about this particular show I think because it's well worth saying as well as i've said before it's very wwe-ified this this particular book and also guess what it's got a forward by mr wrestlemania Shawn michaels so <laughs> undoubtedly throughout this book they are papering over the cracks of some of Shawn michaels worst behavior if you like mm. towards the uh first first half of his career anyway so no there's not a lot about this unfortunately
2: that's a shame i've got a correction from earlier statement uh, it wasn't buffalo trace Bourbon. It was bullet bourbon. <laughs> so just, uh, I had to get that out of there.
1: As if that's going to make the cut. Right. Um, <laughs> why not?
2: <laughs> All the
3: listeners are dying to know.
1: <laughs> okay, so, Matt, we've uh, we we've covered one of the best matches ever, apparently. So, what's your talking point?
3: I did not even know what to say after that, because uh, that, that originally was going to be my talking point. I, <laughs> I, knew, I knew there was no way in hell I, I, I was going to be first on that, so I, I definitely didn't make sure that there was something else um, as sort of a backup my talking point is it's more to do with the technical stuff and the camera work to do with this but the and i'll let you do the match result first ben but the the nation of domination versus lod and ahmed johnson so if you just want to give the match result for that first
1: i knew you could ask me that And no, to be honest this is a mess of notes i've got here for this one really because uh, it's all over the place but basically there's a doomsday device on crush to a big pop then they hit crush with a two by four and they get the pin to end the match so the legion of Doom and ahmed Johnson get the victory
3: and and I couldn't be more happy the fact that you just said that even your notes for it were a bit of a mess and because that (laughs) summed up this match today is one of those days where we've just had so much positivity talking about you know the the Brett and Steve Austin match that that I almost don't want to bring it down but fuck it I'm going to anyway Um, (laughs) this match was just so such a travesty. Like, it was awful. The, the thing about it that really gets me most is just, it was a clusterfuck is probably the best way I can describe it. The the camera work and where, where everybody was trying to get the shots for, you know, the guys, it was just awful. I mean, okay, it was a six man, you know, sort of street fight, so it was pandemonium. I'll give them a little bit of credit. The crowd loved it. They definitely ate it up, and I definitely think for the live audience, this worked and at the end of the day, that's, you know, that that's who, you know, who, who you're performing for. It is mainly for your live crowd, so kudos to them for that, but there were so many things in this match happening that you just you didn't know what was going on because the camera missed it or didn't catch it. You know, there was table spots where you didn't see people go through. There, you know, at one you know, you just hear the sound, and oh, apparently Farouk's been. Knocked off the ring apron, and then you know they're saying that on commentary. and Then okay, well where, where is he? And then they go back to on a replay. Oh, there he is. You know, there's a trash can shot. You hear at one point. You know they're concentrating on the ring, and all you hear is the fire extinguisher going around the outside with one of the road warriors. You know, he was in the fire extinguisher. It just this really really hurt my overall enjoyment of the show. I've got to be honest because I, I was on a great time <laughs> with this show up until this point, and this really was a big come down for me because I just felt it was a mess start to finish and like I said the you know the the camera work really didn't help this technically they really let the side down that's interesting because I've got a slightly different
1: well actually no I haven't got much of a different thing to you because I do agree the camera work was dreadful the direction ultimately was terrible wasn't catching what it needed to catch and that was I guess partially down to the messiness of the match but the messiness of the match appeals to me in this in this instance because again it didn't really happen this is the first time we see anything like this on a Wrestlemania up to this point and certainly in general in WWE you didn't see seen matches like this at all now there's been plenty since of big messes big hardcore battles where people just chuck everything at each other hit each other with chairs kendo sticks tables a lot didn't used to happen at all at this time and so this did feel like a happening and that's why the crowd are so into it because they're just like wow this is mad this is absolutely unlike anything i've ever seen and if they were able to be disciplined about this going forward and not use this kind of match more than once every couple of years they'd get the same results i think because it just it would be like wow it's just so different it's so weird it's so crazy everything's going on but they have overdone it now and it's just a bit of a if you watch it in the context of having seen all of those kind of hardcore title matches where there were like hardcore battle royals and people just running around hitting people with stuff in that context it makes it look just another one of those but it didn't feel like that at the time and it goes to that thing that me and Tom were saying about the expectations that's why we watched these last three matches because the Bret Hart Steve Austin match and this this just stood out again I think personally for me that's what that happened the national domination at the time are Farouk, Savio Vega and Crush but they've also got with him Lo Brown, they've also got PG-13, JC Ice and Wolfie D they've also got Clarence Mason who'd been a manager prior to that uh, of Owen Hart and David Boy Smith in fact and have been Jim Cornette's attorney as well before that point so there's all kinds of people as well on the nation side it's not just the three of them, uh, there's a whole bunch of people. I personally find it quite fun, it's hard to give it a massive artistic thumbs up as a match but I think it's as a spectacle especially at the time it worked really well tom
2: yeah this is obviously this is after the match that we've just watched and it is a completely different kind of spectacle but i'm i'm kind of a tinky on this one because yeah it's not a great match and you're right matt some of the you know some of the production values on it and and the direction is is all over the shop i thought to myself this is the sort of match that you would, at least this is what sort of match that I would imagine happening in like NWA you know, or like like what's yeah. the, the fuck house match or something like that? I think you want it, <laughs> or something like that the bunkhouse stampede, that's the one yeah so the nation come out um, to the classic, we are the nation of domination,
1: it's a very croaky rapper over the top just going,
2: the nation of domination that was, again I,
1: that was PG-13 Wolfie D and JC Ice doing their rapping uh, who, Who are they? I have no idea. They they were a tag team in USWA for a long time and were jc ice is the son i did this trivia many 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 moons ago when we covered i think it must have been a an early nwa yeah,
2: show oh uh, yeah
1: bill dundee he's bill dundee's son and that's who they are
2: you sure he's not vanilla's son
1: <laughs> i don't believe so
2: yeah it was nice to see dealer brown in a suit it was always always nice to see him i always remember popping as, as a youngster as a youth as a 13 year old to Ahmed johnson not only wearing all the multiple shoulder pads across his thighs but also the lod shoulder pads Pads. Um, and I did think to myself, why the fuck are these idiots taking these shoulder pads off if they're about to get involved in the street fight? there's running and spike people. There's a bit of hilarity. Where the nation keeps saying they're going to hit you with everything but the kitchen sink, and the Legion of Doom bring down a kitchen sink. <laughs> oh. And Vincent Man's like, Joe, it's like they brought everything down but the kitchen sink. And then Vincent's like, Well, they brought down the kitchen sink. <laughs> and does his yucky laugh. He's a fucking mess, but it's quite nice because big Legion L.O.D. chance because obviously they're in Chicago. Um, there's a huge pop when Hammer Johnson punches Clarence Mason, which got got an enormous pop. And I, I need to actually, I need to make revision to who my MVP is. Because I said Austin earlier, I think I got too excited. My MVP is Farouk because he takes some extraordinary bumps in this match for such a big guy. He takes a slam through a table onto two monitors, which looks like agony. He takes a huge bump off the second rope onto the outside flat back bump, which is really big. He takes the world's shittest pile driver oh, God, through a table man. by Animal in the Legion <laughs> of Doom. Like, it's just, he, I was like, fucking fair play to Farouk. He's put everything into this. And I love the promo that he did that they Do at the beginning that he does at the beginning. Um, kind of basically saying like they're gonna beat up the road warriors, which again I thought was interesting because he called them the road warriors rather than the Legion of Doom. The body slam that he takes from Amma Johnson is absolutely incredible. There's loads of fire extinguisher action going on. There's about four or five fire extinguishers in this. And there's a bit where a hawk is just walking around the ring, just spraying it after a lovely time. The baby faces actually win, not after a Doomsday device, but I think Amad Johnson and Animal run holding a 2x4 and run over chains with it. That's actually the crap thing that wins the match. Crush, um,
1: chains.
2: Yeah, crush. oh, crush, sorry, yeah. Speaking of crush, actually, I saw a thing appeared on Twitter the other day. It might have been Alan Cheapshot, I think his name is. He posts loads of, like, videos and GIFs. And it's the debut of Brian Adams in WCW yeah. and nobody knows who he is it's tremendous and the commentators are like that's 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 Brian Adams we know him as Brian Adams <laughs> and then he gets into he immediately comes in says how much he loves Bret Hart turns on him joins the MWO and then nothing happens <laughs> for the rest of the storyline so yeah go on go on crush my favourite bit about the match is at the end of it where Amber Johnson just turns around and he's wearing a baseball cap out of nowhere <laughs> I don't know where that's come from that was something I, something I noticed it's a fucking mess it's an absolute shit show but like Tinkies Said we hadn't seen anything like this when it happened, so it's always going to have a bit of
3: fondness. to be fair, I, I sort of you know did, did a bit of reading up on the show afterwards, and that that does seem to be the the general consensus that the uh, that, that was the first you know time you, you sort of see this type of match. So, so that is fair, but yeah, as, as somebody who's seen a lot of them, no, this <laughs> this one's not going to be remembered fondly by me. There, there's actually one bit in it that did make me
2: feel quite uncomfortable, which is there's kind of Amber Johnson kind of gets lynched because they've got a, a, a nation of yeah. domination bringing new and it's quite an awkward uncomfortable visual i find so that was one one kind of minor criticism i have there but otherwise the, the match is quite quite fun
1: i think well the nation is another one of those steps on the way to the attitude era and perhaps another regrettable one in a way because the nation of domination is styled after the nation of islam which were a black power kind of movement um a muslim as well the muslim black power movement <laughs> And they're obviously set up as heels and so there's a clear kind of similar to dust in a way, you're supposed to fear these guys because they're cha- you know they're changing the world into something that's less white and straight and male. This is what this group is doing. So again, I'd argue a little bit racist and I think the reason they've got Crush in there is to try and make it seem a little bit less racist because it, it kind of is. Yeah,
2: these guys don't like racism.
1: Boom! <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: exactly yeah.
1: yeah, and do you know what, this,
2: this version of the nation of domination i this is the only as far as i'm aware this is the only kind of thing i've ever seen of them with savvy vega and chains and farouk Crush, as, as, fuck's sake. yeah whatever <laughs> Who cares? do you know what they're the same they're both two tall cunts They so both have got shit air neither of them can wrestle what difference does it make
1: so chains one of them was in demolition the other one wasn't that's what the difference is
2: yeah but he wasn't really in demolition he wasn't proper he wasn't proper demolition he was shit demolition but I, like I said before I was really interrupted The, um, <laughs> the um, that, this version the bigger version I don't know hardly anything about do you know what I mean I like, can remember I've seen a lot of Lost Bariquas and the Disciples of Apocalypse and, and the Nation of Domination with you know Mark Henry and the Godfather and the Rock and D'Lo as well as Farouk so I know a lot more about that and I can remember at the time I think I probably watched those versions of the Nations before I watched this one you know this bigger one so yeah I don't know how long this iteration of the Nation was was around for.
1: Probably about six months, not not massively right. long. They they had some stuff at the rumble with again Fruk faced Ahmed Johnson and again all these people were there yeah. the ringside and they were then a group until they split up and became the three different kind of groups. But yeah, just not a great example of WWE's political correctness, shall we say, in the past. But to, to the match itself, I, I enjoyed it. So my talking point then is gonna be Shawn Michaels. I think we have to go into that because his absence here is well it's it's very notable as i say we don't really know what would have happened the the presumption is that it would have been brett versus michaels in a rematch from wrestlemania 12 but i'm not sure it's absolutely definite that that would have been the case so what happened in the build-up to this show was that at royal rumble Shawn michaels won the world title back from sid after sid had beaten him at the survivor series now Shawn michaels himself was also not getting the kind of reactions that wwe were hoping for at that point um sid was heavily cheered for it at madison square garden survivor series 96 when he beat Shawn michaels who was supposed to be the lead babyface in the company at royal roman 97 though they were in San Antonio Texas and so Sean was in his hometown and got big babyface victory that they wanted him to have incidentally that run against Sid was also supposed to be against Vader originally so Vader was originally supposed to beat him at Survivor Series and then face him at Royal Rumble but they changed plans after the SummerSlam pay-per-view by rating 96 wasn't particularly up to much then at the Royal Rumble the Rumble match Brett was screwed out of winning the Rumble because Austin got chucked out of the top but the referees didn't see it he then got back in the ring eliminated both the Undertaker and Vader then Brett eliminated the fake diesel seemingly to have won the match and then but austin had got back in the ring threw him out over the top so the following night gorilla monsoon had scheduled a four-way match an elimination match at the next in your house which would be for to face the champion at wrestlemania which was going to be between brett austin vader and the undertaker there's a slight issue with them calling it in your house final four because actually the fake diesel was in the final four at the royal rumble but the explanation given was that austin had thrown out vader and undertaker after having been eliminated and hadn't for throwing out the fake diesel he'd thrown out brett so those were the four in the match but a week before that show happened Shawn michaels told wwe that he would not be able to compete because he had a knee injury and he also said that he may never wrestle again at that point but he also said in that same promo that he had lost his smile his mother had told him he'd lost his smile and so there was a lot of interpretation that this wasn't about the knee injury it was potentially about some what we would now call mental health issues depression but i think at the time wasn't at all understood in fairness and so there was a lot of kind of judgment of Shawn Michaels for faking the injury when actually he was perfectly fine to wrestle, he just didn't want to I guess is the is the explanation I'm trying to word this in a way that shows that I'm not I, I think it's, we need to maybe reassess what was going on with Shawn Michaels at the time it's very easy to think of him as being selfish and not wanting to put Brett over but if he was genuinely going through some shit in his head, at that time it would have been very difficult for him to say so I think whereas now it would probably would be fine it wouldn't be such an issue, so I think we have to bear that in mind. So at the In Your House final four match, they made it for the title. Brett won, but then lost the belt the next night to Sid. And that is where we came into WrestleMania with the, the lineup we had. But ultimately, Sean did ultimately go, not compete at this WrestleMania. He did appear as a commentator on the main event. But I think it's just, I think it's really notable because I do think that he does get a lot of bad press for this. And understandably so. And I have very much thought that myself in the past. But I just thought, I just was thinking about it. And I, I wanted to... Sort of remind myself of what he said in the promo, and it definitely does suggest to me that there's some mental health issues that are going on with Sean at a time when I don't think that was well understood, and probably he would have felt unable to give that as a reason for not competing going forward.
2: Well, do you know? Do you know what Hitler had mental health issues as well? Let's just forgive
1: him, shall we? <laughs> okay, now. Eh? <laughs> So this is the Illiberal side of Tom Shining through now
2: <laughs> Do you know what Like I, I appreciate that I, I understand that At all and You really fucking Swiped my legs out From underneath me Because I was just About to unleash Hell on him Because I'll tell you what Because I, I, I was listening To Wrestlemania 12 This morning And not the podcast Of it obviously not, I didn't just Listen to the audio Of Wrestlemania 12 <laughs> And walk around And I think Steve and I Are in very similar camps About this About this thing I think that Mid 90s Shawn Michaels Is such a cunt And I, I Like the, the bits Where they show him, I'm, I've seen the promo where he says he's lost his smile, and it makes me feel physically sick when I see it. And I'm like, oh, just fuck off, just do the job, you moaning little prick. And I just, oh, I just can't, I can't do it. And do, do you know what? He probably has got some shit going on. He's probably jealous because his mates are working after dates and getting paid four times the amount of money. That's probably why he's so miserable. He's stuck there with fucking boring ass Triple H. He's just jobbed out to the Warrior last year, and he's like, oh, my mates
1: are gone. What, what you, you know what? This is the this is interesting thing I think that there's a lot of the rhetoric around this is a lot of it is based on the fact that it was detrimental to Brett and I think had that not been the case, had Brett not been a factor in this, I think people might start to see this a little differently. Because again, even with that, so Sean, Mike, so are we saying that we're now happy with the way WWE treats its talent and therefore Sean, as an independent contractor, should have been like nailed down to this like contract where he could have got a lot more money elsewhere, wasn't under the employee of the company, which probably would have been much fairer? I don't think so. I think, in fairness, don't get me wrong, Sean had the power to say these things because he was a big star at the time and others didn't, and he wasn't doing it for anybody else, but still, ordinarily in a case of a wrestler against the company and not being happy with the employment situation they were in, I would back the wrestler. So again, I, even with that WCW thing on where Sean was desperate to get out, desperate to go to WCW, desperate to get the same arrangement that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Sean Waltman had got, I'm a bit like, well, I think fair play. probably should have been allowed to, to pursue that, unless WWE were willing to actually employ him directly, which they were not. No, I mean,
2: it's, it's difficult, is it? Because the whole independent contractor thing is, is fucking mucky as fuck isn't it like it's it's grim and we all know their employment and things different but it's also entirely self-serving which again isn't necessarily a bad thing I just, I just fuck Shawn Michaels
1: <laughs> but I, you know Sure. The thing is, the thing is, I just think that this is very much
2: a if it was if it was an altruistic task, and he was like, "Do you know what? These this uh, the 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 way the employees are treated within this company are bad, and we need to I don't know, like the Jesse Ventura route where he tries to form a union or some shit like that. Like then, like maybe, but I I think it's entirely self-serving. And yeah, people sh- can go somewhere and earn more money, but ultimately, you've you've signed up to a contract, It's a probably very lucrative one as well. I expect just fucking deal with it. It's like when football players like refuse to go to matches and and go and. Because they want to force and move some else to earn more money. Bollocks. Do you know what I mean? Like, people don't have anywhere near the opportunity that you've got as a result of that so just fucking sharp and deal with it
1: I mean I I think footballs are a little bit different because they've got like a, a million other options when they sign that contract so when they sign the contract they could go to Chelsea but they could equally go to Man United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus anywhere else and they're all bidding over that same player so they're going to get a lot of money they're going to use the market to their advantage this is different this is two this time two options you've got and at the time as well you sign a contract you're locked in but you're also considered an independent contract so you don't get any, any kind of other benefits as of, as part of your employment and I don't think it matters whether he's being untrusted or not i think ultimately you fight for your own right to Earn money, and he happened to be a big star, and was right to question that that situation and, and request his release. But I say right. I don't have a problem with it because I feel like in any other situation I would back him because I think that's that's fair. You know, I don't think the way WWE conducts business, regardless of whether they wanted to do it for anyone else as well, I don't think it's right that that you know they should they should employ people in the way they employ them. So as I said, in any other situation I would back Shawn Michaels, and in any other situation where Brett wasn't involved, even the thing about him being. Having lost his smile, I would accept. I think we just would see it through the prism of Bret Hart's being detrimentally affected by what's happened with Shawn Michaels.
2: I I also think that there's an element of the fact that because he's trying to, okay, that's fine. If you want to get out of your contract, everything, but is it just because you want to go on a jolly with your mates and get pilled up the entire time? And the reasons behind him doing it is not any of ours and and what have you. No, but I, I just. I don't I don't, I don't I don't know how to articulate myself about this. No, but you're
1: but in fairness though, I think I think what's happening is that you're seeing it from the time honored tradition of the business. You know, everybody's worked to put you over and make you the big star. You've been given the title. Brett dropped the belt to you a year ago. The least you could do, if you're really desperate to go as well, the least you could do is drop the belt to Brett on the way out or to anybody else on the way out. Now, Vince wasn't willing to let him go at all, and and understandably so. This was a difficult period for WWE, and they needed every bit of talent they could get. But I guess one kind of cancels out the other, right? If you were so desperate to go, fine, drop the belt, and then you can go, well, maybe you can't go, but the point is you're much more likely to be able to go. If you aren't willing to drop the belt and also, you know, you want to get out, then you're not doing business either way, are you? So I guess, in that respect, that's perhaps the counter argument to what I'm saying, which is, you know, give yourself the opportunity to get out by dropping the belt and being living up to what's expected of you as somebody who's been given
3: the belt in the past. Do you know what, I, I've got to give you props there, Ben, because to be fair, that, that's probably the the most interesting take I've heard on it, it, it especially in terms of the, the mental health aspect. I, I've literally I've never thought of it from that angle before, and it's interesting that you bring it up, because, you know, absolutely I think if, if that were to happen today, it'd be a completely different story. I, I've got to be from all the stuff I've heard and read and that type of thing I, I do definitely think that I think it was probably Sean Just being a bit of a dick at the time I, and, I, and I'm probably the more biggest Sean Michaels fan it, It's one of those that I, I, I don't know 100% how, how it worked in, in terms of it You know, and how bad his knee injury was But I, I just think that You know, in particular Especially with how wrestlers Try to get as many different diagnoses You know, from as many doctors as they can I just thought, you know what He probably, if he if he looked hard enough He probably could have found a doctor To clear him, I reckon If he really wanted to, and and probably could have ended up, you know, working the match and, and, you know, dropping the title if that's where they were going to go. But obviously they didn't. So I I do think he was probably Sean just being a bit of a dick. I mean, it's very possible, but I guess the question then is why
1: is he being a dick? You know, it's not just because he is predisposed to be a dick. You know, there's there's something else going on. We know he's not predisposed to be a dick because he was supposedly a much better person now. So something was happening in his life at that time which was making him be a dick. And I would argue that it was probably is battles with whatever he was battling with and i think partially substance abuse partially other things but su- what substance abuse but another symptom of some issues that something else that's going on in your life have you guys watched young rock a bit, yeah, a bit
2: right. i love a bit of uh young rock i'm a big fan of the show my wife watches it and she really enjoys it well as well and i say to her well this actually happened then <laughs> and this actually happened then and then i say to her do you want to watch that match and she goes absolutely not and i go okay fine um there's an episode called <laughs> quite recently, where um, it shows The the Rock uh, in kind of like 97, and there's a, a wrestler in there called Chad Frost. don't know if you guys have heard about this at all. Yep. But there's they they kind of introduced Chad Frost, and they say so, like the two biggest stars in the company at the moment are Chad Frost and Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and I'm like, and basically, it shows Chad Frost to be an absolute dick, and very much disliked by The Rock, and he... The Rock has heat with Triple H going into SummerSlam 98. And again, I'm aware this is obviously, you know, it's not all 100 isn't true but um, that he has heat going with Triple H and then Triple H says no I didn't say what I said to the office at all and then it, it kind of comes to um fruition that it was this Chad Frost and I was sitting there and I was thinking fuck Chad Frost and I realised that this was Shawn Michaels and it made me think it was really interesting because there have been times in the show where The Rock narrates over the top saying this is Triple H he going on to be one of the biggest stars in the business we didn't like each other very often but now we, we're friends you know what I mean and we go with each other and obviously they didn't do anything like that with, with Shawn Michaels so they obviously created this new character and basically is like it's not said, but it's basically he was a dick. I still a dick and I don't like him. And I found that really interesting because I can't imagine they would have not been able to get a license for him, the license for him, because every literally everyone else is in it. You know, every other wrestler that the Rock would have interacted with is in it. So I just found that really interesting that they're like they must still be like a bit of heat between the Rock and Shawn Michaels, especially considering that the Rock, which I found really interesting because from what I gather I think The Rock's daughter is in NXT yeah so I just I just find that absolutely fascinating A-rain. yeah well, or maybe well, maybe he didn't want to put Shawn Michaels in it because of that specific reason do you know what I, mean? or something like, I don't know I just find it really interesting
1: well you're not going to give someone the license to use your likeness if they're portraying you as a dick are you so that yeah, <clears> that would be why they didn't get the license that, you know, that portrayed as a dick but
2: he, but he does with Triple H
1: yeah but they've said now that they're all friends now and he's he's even put it in narration where, where apparently he's not doing that with yeah. this, this character
2: yeah which is what makes me think there's still heat between them
1: oh yeah I do think there is but what yeah. I'm saying is you said or oh, they, they must not have been able to get their license I was like well they obviously not because Shawn Michaels wouldn't let them no, and that, that, was, to that,
2: that was what I was trying to insinuate as well but um yeah, yeah it was just really interesting I think there were, he's, I think he ruffled a lot of feathers back yeah. in the day he and just, obviously some did. people have got moved on and forgiven I remember hearing somewhere that Bret Hart still doesn't like Shawn Michaels at all but it's what's best for business sort of thing <laughs> Well, it's, it's been done
1: well I think the other thing about it is that remember the timeline of the Rock. So The Rock left effectively full time in 2001. I know he came back, yeah, a, a fair bit, but he left 2001. Shawn Michaels turns up 2002 SummerSlam, returning to the company. At which point The Rock barely is there and doesn't only mm. comes back for one more match at the WrestleMania in 2003. Then Shawn Michaels retires WrestleMania 26. At WrestleMania 27, The Rock turns up to start his program with John mm. Cena. So they're barely in the same company since Shawn Michaels was being this person he was at that time. So perhaps no chance really for them to make up and be friends because that just the opportunity hasn't arised maybe I, I wanted to just portray the other side of this because i think it's very easy for us to all go oh yeah what a dick you know he was obviously faking it and you know again i listened to the bruce pritchard podcast and he has said that he doesn't think that Shawn michael's had an injury he went to his own doctor not wwe's doctor that's where he got the diagnosis from
2: clinical lost smile <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no with the knee injury so in that respect i think it probably is it probably was a lie it probably was maybe he had a toss like tweet to the knee but could have competed but you know i think that there's every chance that at that point in time he had some mental health issues he had depression couldn't give that as a reason to wwe because would they have ever accepted that at that time i don't think so i think it would have been much harder for him to do that and then therefore had to use the knee as an excuse I'm not saying that's what happened i'm just saying that i'm just trying to give that other perspective that's potentially why Shawn Michaels was not available for this show and was not able to face Bret Hart in what would probably have been the main event although again as I said don't know for definite that that's the case right well we'll take a little break there especially as uh, Tom's doing his uh, weekly trip down the stairs which is really bizarre when he's got a
3: background as well so it just, it's like he's <laughs> wearing <it's> sunglasses then <laughs>
1: It looks a bit like like a music video where someone's like dancing around and they've got like a obviously a fake a green screen behind them. So, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment where we will pick up the rest of the show.
4: Look oh, look at coming. this. Oh, yeah. Brett Hart. I stare down here. And what? Bret Hart's coming out. What do you mean Bret Hart's coming out I here? I see him right there. Holy mackerel. Oh, well,
5: imagine that. Brett being resentful of not being in the main event or being the man. I find that very hard to believe. I got news where he did his best against Steve Austin, and he couldn't quite get it done. What's this? John? First of all, you phony little faker, why don't you take your your little pussyfoot injury? No. No. no, It's all right. I'm not going anywhere. And go back and find your smile, but whatever you do, stay out of this match. I'm so scared. But as for you... I I'm just petrified. want you to know, when you slammed that door on my head, you slammed the door on our friendship, and from <laughs> here on in, it's a new set of rules between you and me. Oh my! I can't remember the last time Brett was anybody's friend. And you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I know, and every single person in this building knows nope, that he's know a The one thing that that World Wrestling Federation championship belt belongs to me, and you are a fraud. Well, it looks like fraud. That belt never belong to you, and you know it, and I know it, and every single person in this building, whether you're here or outside of TV, man, you all know that I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Oh! That's it. Oh, wait a minute! And now you're getting beat up because you're big mouth. Oh, no! Oh,
4: no! <laughs> Experience as a powerbomb <laughs> one more time, and after that submission match, See? that's gonna put him in a bad way. <laughs>
5: you, know, you take your whining ass out of here! Yeah! yeah.
1: Right, so welcome back. We've got the rest of WrestleMania 13 to cover. Now we're going to go from the start as is our usual format. And I should have really, I really should have made the disclaimer up front right away, first thing on the show. Oh God. Because to be honest, I know a lot of our, our listeners <laughs> tune in specifically to hear our thoughts. On one specific aspect of WrestleMania, and we're not going to be able to get to it today because WWE couldn't be fucked. They could not be bothered <laughs> to get in a Zedless celebrity to sing "America the Beautiful" for WrestleMania 13. We do not have a WrestleMania 13 "America the Beautiful." It's an absolute travesty, and another seven marks instantly off this show just for that.
2: Like it's one of those things, isn't it? Where it's so I just assumed they were on all of them. No, I just assumed, and yeah. the fact that there wasn't one was absolute heartbreaking
1: you know what they did have time for don't you Billy Gunn versus Flash Funk in a dark match but in <laughs> yeah. America the Beautiful
2: ah. I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's criminal, isn't it? And there's also no celebrities at this one, is there? As far as I'm aware. No. Other, unless you, unless you count Ken Shamrock, maybe. But
1: no, just like WrestleMania 12. Yeah. No, there, there no celebrities at WrestleMania 12 either. But
2: in the opening video, they show all the celebrities from the past, and then they show that fucking cunt coming down from the rafters at WrestleMania 12. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you're like, the opening video package is is pretty good. I think it really shows the chain, the tonal change in the company. I find. So it shows like all the celebrities on all, all the glamour then it shows about like Bret Hart's seething resentment and you know a fallen hero and a fall from grace sort of thing i actually thought that was really good the fact that it kind of shows that there is a, a tonal change in the company coming down in the company it, as, as it goes
1: it is interesting because there are little little aspects like this that make you realize that the attitude era when it starts and when it ends is a little bit blurry because for me these video packages are very much synonymous in my view with 1998 yeah. this kind of video package and the, the voiceover style that's, that's on show here and then wouldn't really be there by 99 2000 2001 it was something else by that point There's like a it's just like this little period here between 97 and 98 where they're doing this and it just it, I thought it was great but at the same time I was like wow, well, it's very very specific and it's not if you are I mean I've always seen, seen the actual era as really beginning at the Montreal screw job because mm. that's kind of when the Mr. McMahon character began if you like but there's so many aspects of the actual era already seeping in it were already seeping in the pre year, WrestleMania 12, we said, you know, about gold dust and, you know, the fact that there's a, just a slightly harder edge in the ring, here that continues, And but we also now introduce, also introducing The Rock now as well for the first yeah. time, so there's lots of stuff that's sort of bleeding into the attitude era, where, you know, I think someone on Twitter recently was talking to us about, you know, them thinking that WrestleMania 12 was the beginning of the attitude era, and I was like, well, there's just so many dates that you could put that mm. at, because it's not clear, and it's not clean cut.
2: Going back to these voiceover videos, do you know the best one? The best one is in the Countdown for WrestleMania 14, and it's Michael Cole doing the voiceover narration for the Undertaker Kane storyline, and it is absolutely fucking amazing. Because they do a shorter version of it on the actual show, but on the on the countdown, it's it's tremendous. And I do know something really specifically I remember about having the WrestleMania 14 video is that the uh, it annoyed me because it had a slightly smaller case than all of the other videos. I don't know if you can remember back this far, Matt, but Tinky surely will. Videos they had lip didn't they the, the the kind of the edge of the box had lips? This one had really small ones. The WrestleMania 14, and it didn't aesthetically line up with the rest of them. Very annoying.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you know, at the um, at the risk of not getting ahead of ourselves and talking about WrestleMania 14 all the way through right now. We've still got WrestleMania 13 to finish off. Um, and the commentary this week is brought to us by Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross. Another interesting combination. One that I don't think we've seen at WrestleMania so far. And this is now the beginning, I guess, of the Jim Ross era in WrestleMania.
2: And Vince gives us some fucking welly, doesn't he? When, 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 at least it's Welcome
1: not, everyone.
2: It's not quite WrestleMania 12. Cause I almost, I was listening to you you boys last week and I, uh, I put my headphones on and I actually, jumped when Vincent Mann started talking um, so it's not quite that levels but it's still pretty pretty impressive I mean the veins in his neck I can't imagine he must be a very intense lover actually let's, let's not talk about that actually.
1: yeah he's also yeah an, an unwelcome lover I believe to a lot of people God. Um, the opening match of the night is the Godwins versus the Headbangers versus the new Blackjacks versus Doug Furness and Phil Lafon. It's a four way elimination match to determine the number one contenders for the WWF tag team titles that would be, they would be, get this title shot the following night on Raw. It's a unique match in that you can tag anybody in, not not just your own tag partner, including, as was displayed at one point when Mosh and Thrasher were in the ring together, tag team partners being tagged in to face one another, which I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. Anyway, the um the match effectively first of all the um the new Blackjacks, and doug Furnas and philophon get eliminated first because oh hang on we've got shake hands sh- what was the head shake for tom have i got something
2: wrong uh, no no you're right it's shit
1: okay um <laughs> so yeah doug Furnas and philophon and the new Blackjacks both get eliminated the new Blackjacks eliminated because i think they get dq'd because jbl or bradshaw as he was known at the time pushes someone pushes a referee yeah furnace and lafon i didn't really understand how they got eliminated it wasn't explained on commentary it's also not explained in the 35 years of wrestling mania book so um <laughs> let me just
2: color me surprised
1: <laughs> well but they do actually talk about it they just don't explain it so they basically say um bradshaw was not done creating chaos with doug Furness and phil lafon when the official tried to break things up bradshaw shoved the official down resulting in his team's disqualification as well the removal of the team of Furness and lafon. that's it that's what you get I
2: think Black Jets get disqualified, first of all, and then Furnace and LaFon get counted out. I right. think that's
1: what happens. Well, ne- neither the commentary nor the 35 years of no WrestleMania could tell you why that that was the yeah. case. So we'll just have to accept what you've said.
2: I think referee Jack Doan is counting, I
1: think. Then at the end of the match, Mosh hits a face-sitting dive, which is what I could call it, from the top on Phineas and gets a pin. The headbangers win the match and that's it. Uh, it's um, ten and a half minutes long as well. Matt, what did you think of this?
3: I just love your description of the finish and a face-sitting dive. <laughs> what would you call it? <laughs> I think I just put like seated on or something. I called it a bollocks to the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still can, I can hear Vince, you know, a face-sitting dive. God, that would have been great, but never mind. Yeah, this was uh, this was an interesting old one. The uh, you know, like you said, with the rules where anybody could tag in and I that's a stupid rule I get okay it's, I suppose it's something different but the fact that you know you you basically could be facing your own partner at some point and I was like how the hell does that work that's a bit bit naff but okay something different the disqualification um when Bradshaw shoved the ref down I mean I literally was like what the hell is that about who's it Lafon and you're gonna have to forgive my pronunciation here was it Lafon and Furnace
1: Furnace and the Fun who the hell are they you have to say it Furnace and the Fun as well the other way around sounds wrong yeah it does (laughs) It's (laughs) it's like sister and brother who the hell
2: they 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 were they had some time in ECW didn't they Yeah. and they were also they? in New Japan I think as well
1: yeah. so time, um, go on
2: you're on a roll by all accounts I've never seen hardly any of their work but every now and again some guy I think Eddie Kingston tends to retweet these things from a different Instagram account that posts loads of like Japanese wrestling and they crop up quite a lot on that by all accounts very good technical wrestlers but I don't think they ever re- well they obviously didn't ever make it in WWE but from what I've seen of them they're, they're decent, and I was actually hoping they'd have a bit more of a longer run in this match because I was like, oh my. Because at the time, i come and be like, I don't give a fuck about these two pricks. Who are they? Who are these people? But when I saw they're in it, I was like, oh, well, actually, I've, having seen a couple of clips of them on Twitter, I'm actually quite interested in, in this. And I'll go on to one bit that I specifically liked involving these lads. But um, yeah, that that's all I really know about them.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking, like, who the hell are these guys? Like, I've, I've never heard of anything of them since. I, I, I don't know anybody who's ever mentioned them. So, you know, the, it was. I mean, like, you know, who the hell are they? But yeah, you know, technical wise, I I did think they were probably one of the better teams in there. So, you know, when we were down to, you know, to the last two teams, I was like, okay. I I can't remember again. You have to forgive me for who he was, but like two of them were in there at one point and they both spat at each other, which was like, Uh. okay, that's grim. Don't need that. Thanks. (laughs) Um, And yeah, just the the last couple of minutes were very good. You know, we 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 had the 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 face to the bollocks finish (laughs) and and that was it, you know. Not not the best opener to start with, but um, okay. I should also say that this was the first ever multi-person
1: match, or multi-way match, if you like, in WrestleMania oh, really? history. In WrestleMania history, We've not had one up to this point.
2: This match is, so I've got a lot of notes about this match, not necessarily about the quality of the match, but a couple of things. So, first of all, the Godwins come down to the Hey Dougie theme song. I don't know if you're familiar with that yet, Ticky, but <laughs> no, you will yet. do. Mm-hmm. Hey, honestly, Hey Dougie is great. I love it. Like, when, when my little one, when Baby Shinsuke gets bored of Hey Dougie, I'm going to be a little bit heartbroken. So that's <laughs> something you've got to look forward to. They show footage of the Old blackjacks. So while the good ones are coming to the ring, mm. the new blackjacks, who are JBL and, and Barry Windham, do some kind of generic shit promo backstage, and they show some footage of the old Jack blackjacks. And then they come down to the ring, and the crowd are so woefully indifferent to them; it's almost painful. And that's when Jr. says it for the first time. He says, "We're on for a slobber knocker." that no, wasn't glee- for the first time really so that's what i thought is it it at wrestlemania
1: 9 oh really
2: 9. Uh-huh. i went on that one was I? the king is very confused by the rules in this and when he's kind of trying to get his head around the rules vince poses a very strange question i think he may have been on the sherry before the match he goes um imagine if the king was to get in the ring and clear house because anything can happen in the world wrestling federation <laughs> like what the fuck's that got to do with anything you fucking nutter there is there is one moment though which is all of our kryptonite in the random wrestling review and phil lafon hits a wonderful tiger suplex with a bridge and it is one of those things i don't know what you guys but you know that meme with leonardo dicaprio from once Upon a time in america where it's like and he clicks and points to the screen that's all of us whenever we see a good bridge on a suplex it's definitely what happens but the, the the fucking stupid kind of double disqualification count out whatever it is was I was like well, what was the point in that like it then goes into a two on two match between the fucking Godwins and the head shrinkers two teams I've got no time for <laughs> whatsoever and it's just like what? why Why even have the two of them in why have the other two teams in the match in the first place it's absolutely shit the bit of spitting between Phineas and Thrasher is absolutely disgusting it's absolutely horrible and the highlight of the match for me, um, after the bridge uh, Tiger Suplex was when which is this is a joke I definitely wouldn't have got back in 1997, is when King says to JR, you think that Fleetwood Mac is a new hamburger in McDonald's <laughs> a lovely joke and then I noticed there's a, a bloke in the front row with a Preacher t-shirt on, which is uh, my favourite ever comic book, so I was like, oh there we go mm.
1: So, after this we get the advert for the next In Your House pay-per-view and they pushed this twice on the mm. Wrestlemania show which i find bizarre and it said to me very much that they know that they are not going to get a big buy rate for this show it feels like they're already going right well wrestlemania has already been a loss for us write this off Let's move on to what's next. So that was really interesting. No matches, of course, um, announced for it. After this, we get Honky Tonk Man in the ring. So we also see Lou Albano and Arnold Skoland in the crowd. So again, going back to prior to the Hogan era uh, here. And I, then can Hon-
2: remember, I can remember they did a really good, there was a really good series of vignettes as well, wasn't there, around the time with like... Um, Freddie Blaise. um Freddie Blassie, yeah, and Gorilla Monsoon and, and people like that. And do you know mm. what? It's really interesting because I've never thought about that. I never thought about the fact that they just weren't using Hogan footage because you're right. Like when it comes to them using archival footage, it always historically was post-WrestleMania 1. Mm. Um, And do you know what? It's something they really should probably tap into ut- and utilize more. I guess they don't need to at the moment really, but like the whole legacy aspect behind WWE and The Garden and, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's something that it, it'd be good to see more of. I think.
1: Well, it's. I mean, there's loads of it on the network, so you can watch a load of it, yeah, and okay. I have done. And I I'm an ideas
2: guy, thinking. You know,
1: and this, and actually, to be honest, that you wouldn't like very much of it, to be honest. But, no. but you know, it, it, that's clearly what's going on here, and it's not just Hogan. Savage mm-hmm. is over there as well. They haven't, they haven't got the ability to. They don't want to use or promote either of those two guys. Also, Mr. Perfect, you know, by this point, Kevin Nash scott hall yeah. you know, even even the more recent stuff they can't show a lot of so can't,
2: brutus beefcake <laughs> <Very> <laughs> oh, exactly chill. yeah yeah
1: yeah um,
2: I, I um would like them to do a documentary series yes i think they should the old old wwf what? would be Cause, cause like like the um rise of ecw not interested in watching any ecw Just show me the best bits with people talking about it that's what i want
1: i think also what they could what they could do in addition to that is a year in wwf series starting from say the year where they've got some quite a bit of footage maybe 1970 or something mm. and going right the way through and basically giving you all oh, this 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 major angle happened which led to this match and maybe yeah. you know show you seven eight seven eight minutes of a match and perhaps longer than that and what they could and, make like the year in review videos they used to do well, yeah or, or like the premier league years but with wwf like just yeah. you know just give us the give us the headlines give us the highlights give us the you know and you could you could also intersperse like this is what the nwa were doing because they've got all that footage you know what i mean mm. so they could do all that they could sort of talk about any of the major scandals that, of the time because there probably was stuff that had sort of come out and whatnot and you could go right and, and then 1977 for example oh finally san martino dropped the belt superstar billy graham and you know it was it was it was a major happening for example so yeah i think that would be really cool anyway honky joins the commentary team and uh sings his entrance theme as he does so and actually not bad much much better than when he did uh hunka 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 hunky hunky love or whatever it was, was now i can't remember now hunky 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 i can't remember now oh my was God, that
2: was dreadful <laughs> Well, he didn't have Greg Valentine stinking the joint night with him, did
1: he? So. I, I I put a hunky up put the blame on hunky. It was terrible. He couldn't get the timing right at all on that one. The next match is for the Intercontinental Title and that's why Honky Tonk Man is there. Honky Tonk Man being one of the very few wrestlers available to them from the period that we just talked about. His Intercontinental Title match is Rocky Maivia versus The Sultan, who also, of course, is Rakishi. It is a just under 10 minute match and it ends when Maivia, Maivia reverses a slam attempt into a schoolboy for a pin. The first We've seen of The Rock on our WrestleMania travels. Tom, what are your thoughts on this one?
2: This match was all right. I thought it wasn't great. It was very interesting to find. You can see why the crowd didn't gravitate towards Rocky Maivir. Do you know what I mean? It's so cringe, to use one of Matt's phrases. It's just one of those things where I'm just like, it it just doesn't seem sincere. It seems really forced. They're forcing the Rocky Johnson stuff. On him. Obviously, after the match finishes, the Sultan and the Iron Sheik kind of attack Rocky Maivir, and then Rocky Johnson comes in to make the save, and no one gives a fuck. Like, no one cares at all until the Sultan hits Rocky Johnson with a flag, and then there's some heat, but then all the crowd just do is chant USA instead. It's not a bad match. The Sultan, I think the Sultan's pretty great, you know. <laughs> I quite <laughs> like the gimmick. And it's obviously Rikishi, who was a good wrestler, and he's in great shape at this point as well. So he like, hits a lovely kind of diving headbutt, hits a wonderful pile driver. It, he's basically got the majority of the match because he's bigger and more powerful i thought this match was pretty good i liked at the beginning that tony atlas is in the crowd as well and uh <laughs> the king calls him an idiot because he's chewing gum as well so there you go that's his thoughts on that but yeah i thought this match was absolutely fine for what it was it, it exceeded my expectations which admittedly weren't very high i was just thinking to myself what relation fatu and rocky Maivia are to each other probably distant second cousins or something but i did think to myself at the time this must be really nice for them you know being family and being like you know we're having a match at wrestlemania this is pretty fucking cool do you know what I mean so that was that was that that was my that was my thoughts on the match
1: if they if had been really clever in <clears throat> 1999 2000 they could have pretended that this was the beginning of rikishi doing yeah. it for the rock yeah <laughs> he led down for the rock in his first wrestlemania
3: match That would have been genius. (laughs) I'm still bowled over by the the phrase Rikishi and good match being used in the same sentence. I I, I never thought that was something you could actually hear before. So I'm I'm quite surprised by that. Yeah, you could tell I'm not a fan of Rikishi in the slightest. (laughs) I I think it's interesting, actually. I think the minute you you
1: got into it in 2001, right? I think that six months before that is when Rikishi had the last good thing that he did. And and I honestly think all the stuff you would have seen is rubbish. But the stuff nearly entirely before that, he was a fine worker. He he
2: also, as well, there was a period of about six months where outside of the main event, Tukul and Rikishi were the most overactive in the entire company.
1: I remember very specifically a match, I think on SmackDown, Triple H versus Rikishi, Triple H was champion. And he was super over in that match going for the title. It It was quite impressive. But the thing is, is that Fatu had been, Rikishi had been a wrestler long long time before he became rikishi we've seen him in the head shrinkers. the head are a fine tag team and not just you know they date back to kind of early 90s in, w- in nwa and stuff so they've been around he'd been around a long old time and actually done a lot of good stuff it's just he's best known for being rikishi which is a shame because his stuff as rikishi after the first six months of being in
3: in that position are just not that great i, I can already tell you my, my most memorable rikishi moment is the end of the vince mcmahon kiss my ass club where he had vince's head shoved up his ass <laughs> and, that's, and as as good a moment as that was that that was the peak of Rikishi for me, but that's Rikishi, This is the Sultan. So, uh, other than loving his shoes, I, I might, I must admit, <laughs> yeah, those <are> some fun. <laughs> Fantastic shoes Fair play to him for that this match for me it actually turned out a lot better than than i thought it had any right to i really wasn't expecting much of it and i think because of that low bar it ended up not, not too bad i mean I, I still find it such a strange sight to see the rock do drop kicks it's just such a strange thing to see like i know in some ways he's obviously trying to emulate his father and, and you know it's just it's just such a weird thing like you, you don't see the rock throw a drop kick so that's bizarre but yeah the, you know the, like i said that this was was okay um it it, definitely was better than i thought there was some decent stuff in there well they they did a pile driver one point again i always love seeing a good pile driver so i thought that was cool the idea of rocky johnson coming out at the end i actually thought you know what that was probably a really nice moment for for both the rock and his dad so i'm actually quite happy for them that they got to do that but yeah I, i do think you're right tom in that unfortunately nobody really gave a shit they really did try and i felt they had a hell of a lot of time as well and and for me, you're gonna notice, you know, throughout the show. For me, that that's a big theme. A lot of these matches were given a hell of a lot of time, and and these guys definitely were too. But yeah, like I said, it was it, it definitely, you know, surpassed my expectations, and it it, it was okay. It 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 wasn't uh, it wasn't too bad.
1: So I'm trying to figure out the. The nature of the relation, the relation between the rock and Rikishi, it's not at all clear.
2: No, you're on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, yes, I, yeah, it's quite far removed, isn't it?
1: It is. They're, well, it says they're blood brothers. So it says not not them two, but it says amatuani Anawaki and Finneen Anderson, Peter Maivia, were blood brothers. I don't know what that means, <laughs> other, other than what I understand it to mean, which is that you just share a little bit of blood. You know what I mean? Like at some point <laughs> when you that you cut your hands and you shake hands and that makes you mm. blood brothers. Don't know what else it can be so they may not be actually related really at all i don't know
2: but then does that mean then that the rock is the rocks family is slightly is removed from the four anoahi yeah
1: it's not part of the anoahi lineage technically i mean it might it doesn't even appear to go back beyond those two men yeah it just it appears to be that they've created some form of i think is a, like a modern ritual where you basically swear a blood oath to one another yeah. and I think it's like that so it's, again not in the yeah. western way of looking at it not technically family although i'm sure in Samoa that that makes them family
2: so you've got the anawahi family here and then you've got the rocky uh the, the high chief peter Maivia's family here and then all the way over there you've just got samoa joe just hanging out on
1: his own <laughs> well yeah and, and there's also like Nia Jax, for example, second cousin once removed to Dwayne Johnson, but not part of the Anoa'i family either. So Is she a snooker? No, but snooker. Snook- well, you obviously Tamina. 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 Uh, but that's not they're, they're Fijian anyway. They're not. Yeah. So yeah, not really related at all. Although I guess they may be very, very distantly. I was just looking through this though. Um, so Rikishi's brothers include Amaga and Tama from mm. the Islanders, and then Roman Reigns is his cousin. This is interesting, from what I can tell here. Well, Roman Reigns is Rikishi's. Rikishi's cousin. cousin. Yeah, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Rosie was in there somewhere, wasn't he? I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's Roman Reigns' brother. Yokozuna is also a cousin to Rikishi and to Roman Reigns.
2: And then obviously you got the. Usos and Solo, and another Fatu. There's another Fatu. Something wrestles for wow, like MLW or someone, isn't there?
1: I don't know. It's hard. There's loads of <laughs> them. Bloody loads. Yeah. Of them. blood brothers. And they include Jey, So, Jimmy, Usu Manu, Samu, Fatu, Yokozuna, Rosie, oh, Manu, <laughs> Roman <laughs> Reigns, Tama. Um, Seeker, Afa, <laughs> basically everyone. And Solo Sokoa, who is uh, obviously the younger brother. Yeah, brother of the users. I didn't realize he yeah. was their brother, but that's oh, interesting. Well, yeah, it's got a different name. List. I think by now it's fair to say they probably are the best or the most successful wrestling family of all time, I, I would suggest, given.
2: I'd argue give the McMahons, probably. but
1: <laughs> Well, not in the
2: ring, maybe. Okay.
1: <clears throat> so, Hang on. I, th- I think
2: Bruce Hart might take umbrage with that. <laughs>
1: Of course he would. After the match, JR tries to interview uh, Rocky Maivia, but he's attacked from behind by the Sultan with the IC title belt. Sheik and Backland join the attack. Sultan hits back, big splash. Sheik applies the camel clutch. Rocky Johnson turns up, clears the ring, blah, blah, blah. We've spoken about that. Todd Pettengill with Ken Shamrock. Uh, footage of Shamrock in a confrontation with Billy Gunn on Raw. There he is again, or Billy. Um, Shamrock says he was brought in to referee the match today and neither Brett or Austin will Im- intimidate him.
2: I had a lot of time for Ken Shamrock. I, I think this promo, he's not the most charismatic of men, but this promo does exactly what it should in the manner that it should.
3: His, his phrase of, I, I, I can't get it in my head, it just made me laugh so much. He kept saying that, you know, I just wanted to let him know who I am. You know, such a tough guy thing. You know, I didn't want to hurt him. I just wanted to let him know who I am. What the? F- fuck is that about (laughs) it's
2: great he does he does um season three of the ultimate fighter i think um and there's an amazing bit in it where he's training his guys and he's like listen let me show you let me show you how you win a match and then so he takes all of his team over and they're just stood in front of the tv and they're watching like him fight against someone and he's not like directing them he's not being like so this guy's shooting here so i'm gonna reach in here and grab his he's just sat there watching it and slowly but slowly, the people just walk away and carry on training. And so
3: Ken Shamrock just stood there just watching his own fights on his own. It's so good. Oh, it's, it's, re- it's really sad because the, the, the end of his MMA career is not remembered fond, fondly in the least. He, he really became a bit of an embarrassment to himself by the end of it. He was really sad. Well. It was a
1: shame what happened to him in WWE as well, because at one point he genuinely did seem to be a guy that could be a main event yeah. attraction, which just didn't quite work out. So then next Doc Hendricks is with Triple H in China. Triple H says that he's going to take Goldust down and that the big loser will be Marlena, thanks to China. This is ahead of the match between Triple H and Goldust, a match that goes for just under 50 minutes according to Wikipedia at least and it ends when Marlena is on the apron because China's gone after her. Goldust has lifted, him up, lifted her up to the apron but Triple H comes from behind knocks Goldust into Marlena. Marlena falls off the apron onto China. China ragdolls her. Meantime Triple H pedigrees Goldust and gets the pin. Matt thoughts on this one?
3: If it wasn't for Bret Hart versus Steve Austin this honestly would have been my match of the night. But I I can't in good conscience, you know, the fact that that much did happen. I can't give it to this, but this was really. I thought this was really good. Again, for for a match that involved Goldust and sort of and, and Triple H, you know, in, in the early stages of his career. Again, I felt this match was far better than it had any right to be. You know, it, it seemed to be quite personal between the two of them. I think they worked quite well. They made it seem quite personal. It was quite it was quite hard hitting. You know, there, there was one sort of spot where Triple H, you know, uh, he was going for a superplex on Goldust and sort of dumped him sort of face first outside the ring. I thought that was really tough. It was just really good. And again, they, they give him a hell of a lot of time. And the more I went on, the more I just thought that they worked really well together. And I'm still just baffled that Goldust versus Triple H was that good. So I was pleasantly surprised with this. Massively surpassed my expectations. You should check this one out. Do you know, if it hadn't been for the Rock, Rocky Maivia versus Assault,
1: this would have been my least favourite match of the night because I thought it was an <laughs> utter boring pile of shite that I never oh, want to ever go near again. So I genuinely good. I genuinely thought this was absolutely dreadful in every way possible, every way imaginable, really boring, Not didn't do anything for me at all. Oh, I loved it.
2: So I fall somewhere in between you guys so for a start this is um the Slammy Award winning Triple H for Best Hair Day as he, <laughs> as, as the uh, commentator uh, pains to announce I can always tell my enjoyment of a match based on the amount of notes I've got and I don't have many notes on this one so I obviously didn't enjoy it that much That being said there are a few things that I specifically remember quite liking about it and one of which is how much of a pissy little cunt Triple H is through the entire match so uh, in a good way I think like so there's a bit where he like he undoes Goldust's top and hits him with a couple of absolutely brutal chops to his exposed chest and then kicks the fuck out of him in the corner and it genuinely looked really quite brutal and he does a great job in looking really pissed off and almost having a tantrum every time Goldus kicks out of anything. So from that aspect I quite liked it. Goldus hits Triple H with a flying bum so we've seen a flying bollock and we've got a flying bum. He hit him with his lawler. <laughs> What? All we need is a flying cock in the next match and we've got the hat trick. The match, yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting much and it didn't deliver much to me but it wasn't offensive in the way that Tinky found it. The one thing that did really strike me afterwards is when china basically grabs marlena and he just ra- she ragdolls her around and it looks really really brutal but other than that, that was that was the major takeaway was the flying bum and the uh the slammy award for best hair day and i want to know what specific day it was um that was so good that it elicited a grammy award uh a slammy award win because i like to have you know give my opinion on it but they didn't tell
1: me what it was so this was in the period briefly where they had the Slammy Awards the night before WrestleMania instead of the Hall of Fame. Uh, they did it in re- before WrestleMania 12 and before WrestleMania 13, and I think they knocked on the head after that because no one was interested because it's shit. Um, <laughs> yes, it's still shit now when they don't rule. But n- just nothing about this match. And I, 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 I'll go as far as say this: if china hadn't been introduced to triple h's character i think he'd have been released because i think he was, he was a waste i think he was a proper waste for a good few years he didn't his character didn't connect at all he definitely wasn't heading for the main event china was that was the thing that made him stand out for a good 18 months a year two years before he became a main event guy and admittedly after that point he picked up the baton and ran with it and did really well 2000 being an absolute standout year but prior to that point no, not for me. Not Nothing special at all. Lucky to get where he got in the end. Backstage. Next up, Shawn Michaels struggles to use a computer. <laughs> That's what I've got. Yeah,
2: well, that's all
1: it is. That's all that happens. Sean Michaels is at the AOL desk, I think, and he's pretending, and probably not just pretending, that he can't use the computer. Next up, it's the tag team title match. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog against Mankind and Vader in a heel versus heel tag team title match. Quite bizarre in itself. That ends when Mankind and Bulldog get counted out, which is probably going to do Matt's head in. So I'll go to Tom first. What did you think of this one?
2: I saw the lineup for this match. My first thought was confusion, because I was like, this is heel versus heel, which is very strange. And then I was like, Vader and Mankind versus Bulldog and Owen Hart. This is going to be a fucking banger. And then I remembered that I only ever watched the last three matches (laughs) on here, And there's obviously a reason why. Because... This match doesn't ever really get going. There's no pattern to it, I, and I think it's because it's it's heel versus heel. Like it's really strange. You get like matches that are back and forth, and you can get matches that are with tag teams. It usually falls into like one category, which is like where effectively the heel team. This the in, in WWF tag team matches, the babyface team gets the upper ground upper hand. The heel team do something nefarious to gain the advantage, and then there's heat built up on the babyface until there's a hot tag and then it's all action and then a finish happens of some kind. But this match was really like stop and start. Like it never really got going. Like there's never really any opportunity to really be for any real heat To be built before Owen or Bulldog tag the other person in and make the hot tag. Due to the nature of the the four wrestlers in this ring, there are some incredible wrestling moments. Like Owen hits an incredible belly to belly on Mankind outside the ring, which is phenomenal. Vader hits an amazing suplex in it, almost like a snap suplex, like Bret Hart does, where both of his feet go off the ground, and it just looks absolutely amazing. Ultimately, if I had to describe this match in one word, it would be disappointing because it should have been so much better than it was and it never really amounted to anything considering the the, the sum of its parts
1: If this hadn't had Bret Hart versus Steve Austin on it, this show, would, this would have been my match of the night I thought it was great, I thought it was really enjoyable yeah, I really enjoyed it. But for the end, which was disappointing, the count, uh, the count and there's no need for us to have a count out here. Someone who got pinned. Come on, someone can get pinned on this. Probably Owen. Owen would probably be the right person to get pinned at this point, because what they're doing is they're hinting towards a Dave Boy Smith babyface turn, which never comes because Brett intervenes before the two can split up and forms the Hart Foundation. But I love that as well. I love the fact that they built this. There's a bit of a fractious relationship suddenly between Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, and they don't resolve it in a feud. They resolve it in the other guy in the family. They they've been at odds with, out of that f- with for years. Coming back to them and saying, no, we don't, we shouldn't be fighting amongst each other. We've got to take on everybody else. I love that. I think that's a brilliant story element. I just think that's really really cool. And in this match they kind of get away with the heel versus heel situation. I think because David Boy Smith seems to be on the brink of about being about to turn babyface, and he's just beaten Owen Hart in a match for the Europe to become the first European champion. And then Owen started saying like, he's the brains of the outfit and Bulldog hasn't got his brain. Bulldog's an idiot basically. And I just, so I thought they got away with that. And, and to your point, Tom, all the big moves they do. just love it. I just love the big moves. Yeah. There's a, there's, it's not a, there's not an obvious kind of normal WWF type flow. To this match but that didn't bother me at all and I I wasn't expecting huge amounts which might be the the reason why I liked it so much because because it's one of those matches where I thought well, I must be rubbish because I've never gone back to watch it given who's involved in it you know I must have <clears throat> it must not be very good but yeah I really liked it.
3: I was quite surprised to see Vader and Mankind as a tag team I never knew they were a tag team and no, now I think about it that on paper that sounds like they could have been a pretty good team but yeah you know the, I, I thought this was okay i'll, I'll quickly go with the finish because everyone knows i'm gonna fucking hate it what else can i say you know i've said it to death you know the amount of times i don't like these finishes this was another one where they didn't need to happen and, and it just seemed pointless and makes mankind look stupid. Whatever, if that's what you're going for. Crack on. But yeah, whatever. Stupid finish, shouldn't have done it. The, the one thing I thought was really interesting at the start of the match is JR trying to interview Bulldog and Owen Hart on their way down to the ring. And to be honest, he came across as a bit of a dick just trying to stir shit up between them. And there's not many times where I sort of thought, Gee, oh, why, why are you doing that what a prick that was a bit of a, a sort of sour note to start but you know there, there were some good things in this um it, it, it was quite hard hit in between you know some of them there was some really good some cool suplex spots uh bulldog you know and um, suplex you know mankind at one point which was i thought was really good some form of modified suplex on vader which was very good the belly to belly that i did on the outside yeah i also thought was great I mean, the one thing I did feel slightly bad about as well is that you had, you know, the Hart family parents in the front row. I mean, you know, to be fair to them, they they did quite have just sort of blank expressions on their faces, which I'm sure at one point Vince called him Stoic (laughs) Stu. I was like, what the fuck is that about? Yeah, and they kept going back to them quite often. So, and it just, they looked really awkward when they were being shown on camera. I don't know if they were told they were going to be shown on camera quite as much as they were. So that was a little bit awkward. But um, yeah, you know, as far as tag matches go like I said this was okay I do think that they changed the finish it could have been a bit better but not, not too bad
2: Stu Hart looking like he don't have a clue what's going on is not a rare occurrence whenever he's Stoic at a wrestling thing. match he just always sits there looking like he doesn't have a clue what's going on in fact there's one bit where I think Tinky might be able to tell me the event but where where Jerry is going Stu! 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 Oh, I think he's dead
1: <laughs> like... I don't I don't remember the, the event. Basically any chance Jerry Lawler gets to take the mick out of Stu and Helen he does never fail to do so. Um, yeah. and I think I think in Brett's book he says that Stu got a bit of a kick out of it, to be honest. Because yeah. you know he's been he's been yeah, he's part of the show. And of course he was a wrestler himself and you know ran Stampede, so you know he it wasn't like he was whenever his boys were in a match, it wasn't like he was worried about them. He was quite he was quite happy for them to be in rest big wrestling matches. After this, we get all the stuff with Brett. And Steve Austin. And then we get all the stuff with the nation, Armin Johnson and LOD. One thing I did want to point out that we didn't talk about it amongst all that is that Vince announces that WrestleMania 14 will come from Boston at the Fleet Centre, which is, of course, what we're covering in two weeks time. I also got a note at this point that both Vladimir and Pink Suit are in the crowd for this one. So two of the regular WWF fans are are around and Pink Suit's got um, fluorescent green lady with him as well. They're, they're both there um, I don't know what else to call him. I did find Pink Man On Twitter actually But I'm, I've lost him again So I need to go back And find him oh, on no. What, what um, a legend
2: there's, there's also another Another advert We covered this earlier But another advert For the next In Your House pay-per-view And um, then Vincent Man Talks about it For a little bit Whilst the camera's Panning around on the crowd And Vince says The next ha- In Your House Will be shown on Sky Sports 1 And all of a sudden That fucking hit me Like a truck I was like Oh nostalgia <laughs> Do you know, I don't know why It, just, it, just, it was like Fucking ass, Sky Sports 1 Eh? Don't exist anymore.
1: Does it not? Oh, no, it's called like it Sky Sports main,
2: main event or some shit. Yeah.
1: Well, it doesn't matter anyway because it's not on there anymore. Is it? It's on BT.
2: Well, exactly. And it's been such a long time since it was on that It's been on. They were on box office for ages. And if you're still soft and dead enough to pay for WF pay views, then you deserve it. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So after Shawn Michaels comes out to join the commentary team, um, he has a lovely pose and all kinds of stuff. And Jerry Lawler claims that he is stealing the limelight from Sid and Undertaker. I'm sure a sentiment that's shared by many people involved with this podcast, I would have thought.
2: I was watching it and I was like, this is going on for fucking ever. Kill me now.
1: Then backstage Todd Gill interviews Sid. He says that WrestleMania is the biggest night of the year. He says he's the only person who's not scared of The Undertaker, and he is the master and the ruler of the world. Typical Sid promo here.
2: Brilliant. He was the ruler of the world. That's why he's
3: whispering. What the? Why was he whispering that? He was doing this big, loud, shouty promo, then all of a sudden, I'm the ruler
1: of the
3: world. No, Matt, you've got to restart. you got to
1: restart that, and you've got to keep your teeth together when you yeah. say it. That's yeah. how you do a Sid promo. Yeah. I am the
2: I, I, Do you know what? I fucking love a Sid promo.
1: Yep, me too. He's
2: so good. He's so good. It's such a shame.
1: <laughs> it's such a shame. He's, he's the best shit wrestler of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Before the match begins... Although after the bell, although they do play the bell again later on, but definitely after the bell, Bret Hart comes to the ring and grabs a microphone. He says that Shawn Michaels is, what is it? I can't remember what calls him. Calls him something in terms of him being Sometimes a
3: faker. Pussy foot injury.
1: Yeah, pussy foot injury. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> big Causing phony faker. faker. That was big it. phony faker. That's it. Zing. <laughs> he, st- he tells him to stay out of the match. He tells Taker their friendship is over and says that to Sid that the WWE title belongs to him and he's a fraud. Sid responds with a big blow and a power bomb. Sid says, you take your whiny ass and get out of there. Which I thought was actually really funny.
2: <laughs> it was good. And what I, what I find about it well is that even though he's probably comparable in height to Diesel, isn't he? Sid's powerbomb, despite being delivered from a great height, looks quite safe. I find, whereas Diesel's always looked really horrible. And especially, I think it's at Rumble 95 and Brett takes it. And I remember being scared for Brett's safety. But I wasn't at this point with Sid. I was like, Do you know, what? he might be a shit wrestler, but he's still a professional. <laughs> Since when
1: are Brett and Undertaker friends? Though? They were both babyfaces, weren't yeah. they? You yeah. I mean, that, like, that's kind of the insinuation. He's, he's <laughs> everybody, everybody, all the baby faces were friends and all the Heels were friends. But he's a dead zombie. You, you don't be friends with a dead zombie. The other thing I like about this, actually, Brett's now fully a heel and he's doing mm. what heels are supposed to do. He's showing ass. He's yeah. he's being beaten, he's being overcome, he's been outsmarted. That's what heels are supposed to do, and I thought it was a great shift in the way he was being presented. All of a sudden, so Sid versus Undertaker is the main event. This match goes just over 20 minutes. Undertaker wins it with a tombstone and becomes the new world champion. Matt, what's your thoughts on the main event?
3: This is a this was a bit of a flat way to end the show, unfortunately. Taker versus Diesel. Uh, <laughs> this definitely wasn't. You know that that was great, but this was not. It was quite hard to watch. I got to be honest, it was just very slow, very plodding, and just it, it never really got going. And to be honest, I felt it was mostly quite slow and plodding when Sid was on our which. To be honest, he he was on that for the majority of the match. So it it just made it quite a tough watch. I I suppose the the best, you know, coolest thing in there was was Sid getting the Tombstone, which I'm not sure how many people would have got the Tombstone on The Undertaker at the time. Perhaps this was the first, I don't know, but that was probably quite a visual then and and, you know still is. So that was cool. This was a really, really hard march. It's just very slow and it just it it felt a bit flat, which is a shame. You know, Undertaker winning of the title, I think did wake the crowd up a little bit. obviously seemed quite pumped for that but yeah you you never want to end a match on, on a sour note and i do kind of feel this this did a little bit
2: yeah i didn't really enjoy this match to be honest i thought it was far too long for a sid match the undertaker is like you like you said matt is taking a lot of the offense from sid and selling it and it's quite slow as undertaker matches were at this time when Undertaker speeds up it's great you know I will always be in awe of his diving clothesline for example like the the height he gets on it is amazing for someone so enormous the way he hits the ropes etc is great but I just find it quite dull Sid hits an amazing leg drop like a really high leg drop on the Undertaker which looks great but there's a lot of rest holds Sid comes off the rope second rope quite a few times which is a bit weird but yeah I just didn't I didn't think much of this I didn't really enjoy it if it wasn't for the bret hart interference at the end i probably would have completely written this off and the other thing that i found really strange and i don't know i can't remember if we took a bump or not but there was a really slow three count from earl hebner at the end which was was, was ridiculous i found and then the match kind of then the, the, again like we discussed about wrestlemania 11 like the undertaker gets the belt he does his knee post, and then it just cuts off and that's the end of it like you said matt a bit of a wet fire to win the pay-per-view with although a wet fight has at least got an element of danger to it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'd probably have to agree with you your, your assessment of the match it wasn't good it was slow there were about it's <clears throat> 21 minutes here and I think about 13 of them Undertaker's in some kind of hold whether it be a bear hug a reverse chin lock or something else that's not particularly exciting there are moments where the Undertaker does try to speed it up but its it doesn't really doesn't really make up for the, the rest of what was ultimately yeah, not, a not particularly exciting match credit to the fans they stuck with it I felt that the fans were into it all the way through and um I'm really interested to know whether in the original plan for WrestleMania, whatever that might have been, whether this was still going to be a match and whether it was still going to be for the title. I don't think it would have been. I think it probably would have been just a match, but I still think they probably would have had this one on the show. And probably if it hadn't been for the title and hadn't been the main event, it probably would have only gone about 11, 12 minutes and this probably would have been a far better thing. But I think also given everything that happened, I mean, it was a bit of a crazy period. So I was going to read this to you from the uh, 35 years of WrestleMania books. It says "There there was great deal of confusion and uncertainty around the WWE Championship in early 97. After winning the t- title from Sid at the Royal Rumble, Shawn Michaels should have been on top of the world, but an injury forced him to vacate the title, leading to a four-way match to crown a new champion. Bret Hart won the match, becoming a four-time WWE champion. His reign lasted a mere 24 hours though, as during a match with Psycho S- S- Sid on Raw, Stone Cold Steve Austin interfered, costing Hart the title and making a scheduled bout with Sid at WrestleMania 13, a WWE Championship match. And I think they gave the belt to Undertaker, because they thought he's the probably the guy that that we can rely on because Brett's showing signs of Really not being very happy with things in general. Michaels is a complete troublemaker. Sid's always been a bit mental. Vader didn't really work last year, and Austin's not ready. And so it was basically he's the guy we've got left to be our lead baby face during the rest of this year. Even though really the belt wasn't really made for him, and he wasn't really supposed to ever be champion. That was never really his role. Never but I think really worked, that's it? It wasn't about never working. It just wasn't. That wasn't meant to be the role he filled. He was the attraction. Didn't need the title. That was never the thing. And it also didn't really fit the zombie character from what as i was saying earlier on you can't really have a zombie chase the wwe title that just seems silly so it was just because i think they felt there's, there's a safe pair of hands there's the guy that we can rely on count on to just stay to not cause any problems and ultimately to do the job when time is called for that's exactly what he did
2: in a role that would have been filled by brett in the past as well
1: yes i think that's probably true yeah i think they would have fallen back on brett in the past and here i think the decision is we're going with the undertaker because He's the guy we can count on now. And I think given that this is the main event and was the advertised main event by the time the show came around, you can kind of understand why it's the lowest pay-per-view buy rate of of WrestleMania in history because that lineup, yes, Austin Brett's a great match, but they'd already had their first match in Survivor Series 96. They'd been feuding since that point, so we're sort of four or five months into the feud. And it's a submission match as well. Actually, something I didn't say about that match was, I wonder if it might even have been a better match had it not had the submission um, stipulation. There was no need for it to have no. the, to, they could still do the same ending without it being a submission match so for me if they hadn't had it as a submission match they could also have had some dramatic near falls prior to that point which made it even better in my view so that was perhaps the one thing but advertised as a submission match as well you know austin said himself when he found out that that was the match like i haven't got any i haven't got any submissions what do you want me to do like how can i win that match
2: you have know, to fall back on the million dollar dream did not he?
1: you can kind of see it you can see it from that lineup but i'm not really sure why anyone would buy this pay-per-view
2: just thinking about it i wonder if that's why they kind of ter- turned the submission match into like an i quit match match rather than so you could have people being beaten into submission, if you will. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if that was a thing. It's it's a weird stipulation. But what what you said about false finishes, they didn't really do it at the time, did they?
1: Yeah, did a bit. Did a bit. Yeah. If you watch the Iron Man match back, which, you know, you're not going to because it's an hour long. But if you did, you would see. I think there are some false finishes in that. Not like no, really. really dramatic because it's an hour long match. Yeah. But there are. I think at the time people were more willing to believe that when someone hit a big move, there was a chance to get the pin. Because they didn't have what they have now, which is people kicking out finishes every every single match. So I think they could have done that. But I guess ultimately I felt that the submission stipulation was needless it didn't need to be there I guess the only thing it did was facilitate Ken Shamrock's involvement
2: but again that didn't immediately go into like a feud
1: with Brett or anything did it I don't think no but I guess they wanted to introduce Ken Shamrock in a big way this was their way of doing it okay so that's everything on the show so it's time for our overall thoughts score out of 10 and anything else that we've missed out I haven't given any MVP yet so uh Matt why don't we start okay I think
3: if you're going to do Sid impressions you have to keep your teeth together otherwise (laughs) it's not valid I love it. Okay, um, yeah, th- th- there's no, there's no way in hell I can go anywhere other than match of the night was uh, Brett and Steve, just phenomenal piece of work, really, really great. But you know? What? I, I, I don't know if I've ever given given this honor to him before. He should be so happy to have this honor bestowed on him. But Bret Hart, you are my MVP of the night. You should be so honored to to get that from me. You really worked your bollocks off to get that. So Bret Hart, well done. My MVP of the night. As for overall score of the show, I, I pleasantly enjoyed this show. Um, I've got to be honest, I thought it was actually pretty good. I'm going to go with, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Cool. Tom. Uh so
2: my match at night is obviously Brett Austin. My match of my life is Brett Austin. <laughs> <Deep open eyes. laughs> I'm going with my MVP is Fruk. I've changed it from Austin to Fruk because of some of those mad bumps that he took in that street fight. My overall score, thinking about it, thinking about the the, the match card. Open a match, tag match toilet then you've got the you know the triple h match with gold dust you've got this there's not any matches apart from the last match the main event that i thought were really bad with the and and there's obviously the standout match between Bret hart and steve austin so i'm going to give this also a six as well if we were doing half scores which we're not if we were i'd probably give it a six and a half but i'm going to keep it under i think that is a fair reflection of a show where it's basically all about one match
1: Yes. So I'm we have got sixes across the board because that's what I'm giving it. Six out of 10. Main event was poor. I thought the Triple H gold match was terrible. I didn't mind the intercontinental match, but it was below average. The tag team match was below average. The the opening, sorry, tag team match, the four way. But the tag title match that was really good. Broward versus Austin is immense. One of the best matches WWE has ever put on. And I re- really like the, the street fight as well. I think it's 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 fun you know I don't don't find it at all difficult to watch and you know I think the the messiness of it feels messy in a this is a fight kind of way rather than it feels messy because two people have just like Terry Funk in WCW type stuff which just feels messy because they're botching everything all over the place this feels messy because they're actually having a fight so I'm giving it six out of ten largely it gets that score because of the strength of the the Austin Bret Hart match but also the other the main event drags it down which again I still think is the main for me the main decider on how good a show is um, because that's what supposedly should sell it so where does that put Wrestlemania 13 oh I haven't given my MVP I'm going to give my MVP to Austin because Tom vacated that nicely for me (laughs) earlier on so um, I'm going to give it to Austin so where does that put Wrestlemania 13 in the list well I can tell you at the moment it is behind 10-3-8 and five, but above everything else. So above seven, six, 12, one, nine, four, 11, and two. So sort of 60, 70% up the table at the moment.
2: Do you have a. I'd be interested, I was thinking of this earlier. Do you have a comparison of the WrestleMania against all the other shows we've watched as well yes I do okay I don't necessarily need to know that but it's good to know
1: we have all 99 this is a 99th show we've reviewed I have all 99 in a big old table I'm gonna miss
2: 100 then
1: you are gonna miss 100
2: I'll be on 101 then
1: There's a one-up. There's a game of one-upmanship that will never end. <laughs> so uh, all that's left for me to do is thank you, Tom, for joining me today.
2: You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Tinky. always a pleasure to talk to you as well, Matt. Glenn Jacobs is a
3: cunt. And Matt, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you very much, guys. And just quick message out there for for Bret Hart. Uh, my Twitter is at mattrob90. If you want to send me a DM to say thank you for you know making you MVP of the night, you're more than welcome. <laughs>
1: This has been The Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time, but until then, take care. Smile,
4: though your heart is aching Smile, even though it's breaking When there are clouds in the sky You'll get by If you smile through your fear and sorrow Smile and maybe tomorrow You'll see the sun come shining through for you Light up your face with gladness You'll find that life